One Pride, this is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick, I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey, and we are here for the college football podcast. He may be a middle 10, but he's a Miami QB. <laughs> How are you doing this weekend? How are you doing this week? Sorry, Ryan. I'm good, yeah. Uh, coming off a disappointing weekend, so... It's good to just put all things lying in space behind us. Just just forget about it all for just one night because it's just served a big shit sandwich daily injury report. But now let's just take our minds off it and talk about something good and interesting. That's it. This is our little happy place just for just for a few hours a week. We can come online, we can chat about stuff that, that makes us happy. Because at this minute in time, the Lions, they are uh, they are upsetting us just a little bit there. Um, Apologise to any users who usually use Twitch to watch us this evening. I was just loading the show up about ten minutes ago and then Twitch decided it didn't want to work for some reason. And at the risk of trying to obliterate the whole show, which I've spent a day and a half working on I thought screw it I'm just going to go with YouTube this evening and I will fix the Twitch issues for our Detroit Lions stream tomorrow so apologies about that but you get us you, you get us no, whichever way you get us you're getting us this evening so it doesn't matter how you get us just the fact that you are getting us. So, like I say, this is the College Football Podcast. I'm just going to go through some of the usual housekeeping bits here. So, Roar of the Lions UK Discord great channel if you want to come and join us let us know we'll uh, we'll throw you a link a lot of good chatter going off on there the detroit lions main podcast um we had our review show the other day for the minnesota vikings game there was a lot of anger a lot of harsh things said and a, and a lot of reconciliation it's like a big group therapy meeting if you've not had a chance to check it out yet please do so it is out on youtube and audio and on twitch as well um don't forget to like and sub to all the usual bits on Twitter we've just gone over two and a half thousand followers we thank you ever so much for that on YouTube we're heading towards the big 600 thanks to the likes of Grandizer in the chat always pumping out the uh, the roar of the Lions UK brand thank you ever so much for all the hype that you give us there we really do appreciate it um, and on what's the other one on Twitch I know you can't watch on there this evening. We're over 100 subscribers on there now. So thank you ever so much for your support in all facets of this. We really do appreciate it. We are trying to grow the Detroit Lions brand here big time in the UK. Right. So we are here to talk about college football this evening. And exciting times, Ryan. The non-conference schedules are pretty much all done now and we're getting to the real, true conference warfare where we can finally start to see just where the just where the power rankings are in some of these divisions because it can be hard over the non-conference schedules. Some teams have easy ones, some ones have light ones, but now that's all out the way. We're going all into conference at this point and sparks are liable to fly. Yeah, it's good if you... Well, it's not. It's not good if you're Michigan, 
you've had a lovely start to the season. You've just battered some uh, wimpy kids and stolen their pocket money, and now you're going to get exposed. Now, Pac-12 places like that, they've already a lot of them have already played a rival or played a conference game, so their their updates or their rankings are probably a little bit more in line with where some of the other teams are because they've squared off against some of the foes. But we're going to see who the pretenders are because there's a lot of pretenders out there at three and on, two and one, that have yet to play anyone with any meaningful experience yet. Oh yeah, this is where everything starts to get shaken up. There are a lot of unbeaten teams still at this moment in time. There won't be in two or three weeks because a lot of them are going to have to start playing one another and showing their mettle. Just a big shout out to everyone who's joining us this evening. John Ball's in the YouTube chat. Brent DeWitt is in there as well. Obviously, our man Grandizer12 in there. Love having you along. Ashley is in the YouTube chat this evening. Unfortunately, he can't take his place in the Twitch chat in there. But thank you for joining us anyhow, Ash. We really do appreciate it. And appreciate all of you who are in there. If you have any questions or anything as the show goes on, just let us know and we'll get to it. So we, we will be looking at the week four results today. Been quite a few shockers this weekend, right? We're going to go through some of them. Then we're going to have a look at a few of the other headlines that have uh, come out of these results. And then we're going to go through the pit watch results. And quite frankly, this is becoming a depressing thing for us too. Now we're uh, we're bottom of the rankings at the minute. But hey ho, I still like to think we know quite a lot. A lot of these are lucky guessing. So uh, you are what you are. And then we're going to look at week five. Obviously, a lot of these big conference matchups coming up a lot of the ranked matchups coming up we're going to take a look through them and uh, preview our pick watch fixtures for week five and then we're going to end the show today with a little look at BYU and one particular player who we have been asked by audience request to have a little look at it's what we do if there's a player you want us to deep dive, if there's a position group you want us to deep dive, just let us know. We will do that for you. We've got that coming up this evening. Um, oh, it's already all starting off in the chat. John Ball goes, Michigan is overranked. Absolutely. They've played a bunch of scrubs so far and only beat Maryland by a touchdown, which uh, not boding well for them going forward. But hey, I don't want to be accused of anti-Michigan bias at this point. So <laughs> let's crack on. There's a few bits of news to go through first before we do dive down into week four. So, another head coach has fallen by the wayside, and we're visiting the ACC with the Grim Reaper of head coaching jobs this time, as Jeff Collins' reign at Georgia Tech is unceremoniously over after three and a bit seasons, in a shock to absolutely nobody. The Yellow Jackets, as they are known, they've started off 1-3 and three this year, and they've only scored more than 10 points in one game so far. More than 10 points in one of four games. He finishes with a record of 10 and 28, and he went 7 and 19 in the ACC. Ryan, not a surprise in the slightest that uh, he's been given his marching orders. No, it's they just can't compete. Like I said, they're just not strong enough, resilient enough, or play the style of football to survive in the ACC. Losing Jameer Gibbs to the portal was probably the final nail in the coffin. If you're unable to keep your biggest and brightest assets there because they know they've outgrown you, that is a very damning indictment on your ability to recruit and play any sort of meaningful football. Like I said, the season is basically over. Getting to bowl eligibility will be an absolute miracle at this point now when the ACC schedule kicks in. Jet Sims is struggling to be a dual threat quarterback. Like I said, they're struggling to get away from that uh, 
reputation, that hole they've been pegged in is just an option offence. They're struggling to throw the ball because they've not been asked to for meaningful for a couple of years now. And it's just ugly. They are just the whip, one of the whipping boys in the ACC. And I think a lot of teams are looking forward to playing them this season because it's not a gimme, but a lot of teams will t- take that as a free win. Yeah, like you say, when you score more than 10 points once in four games, that shows there's something really wrong there. And you know, it's not really been a few tough games they've had, but there's some that they should be scoring a lot more points than that. And they, they might want to take notes from the neighbours, Georgia Southern, in terms of if they're going to get a coach who's going to take them more successfully away from the triple option in a uh, short amount of time. So, yeah, that's the honor. I'm surprised there weren't more this, this week. There are a lot of coaches on the hot seat. The uh, the West Virginia one saved his job by the skin of his chinny chin chin last week gone, but there are a lot, I think, who are ready to go. I think this time next week we might be talking about quite a few firings, but for now, just Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Um, the AB t- Top 25, obviously not mentioned it on the show this year. We used to do it every week last season, but I mean, for the first three or four weeks, it's kind of meaningless, but I just want to give you a quick update as to where we are at this point. This is the Associated Press's Top 25. There's lots of different ones that we use, but th- th- this, for the most part, is what's there. So, the Top 10, all undefeated currently, all but one of them are 4-0, and oh. so from 1-10 to 10 it goes Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan, Clemson, USC, Kentucky, Tennessee, Oklahoma State at 9, who are the only 3-0 team in that group, then North Carolina State, my boy, my boy, sneaking into the top 10 there, Devin Leary, um, and then after that, you've got Penn State at 11, they're 4-0, Utah and Oregon, 12-13, and 13, both 3-1, Old Miss and Washington, 14-15, and 15, both 4-0, and then you've got a run of 3-1 and one teams, you've got Baylor, Texas A&M and Oklahoma, you've got BYU at 2-1 and one at 19, Arkansas 3-1 and one at 20, Minnesota 4-0 and oh at 21, and then rounding out the top 25, you've got Wake Forest at 3-1, and one. Florida State at 4-0, and oh, finally worked their way in there, Pittsburgh at 3-1, and one, and then Kansas State have snuck their way in at 3-1 and one after their big win at Oklahoma. I still, it's, it's still quite early in the season to be going through these things, but is there anything that sticks out to you about teams in the top 25 at the minute, teams who you may not have expected to be there at this point in the season? Well, Texas A&M shouldn't be there. The shit. Yeah. Has anyone watched their games, honestly, and told me they belong in the top 25? It's been dreadful. Haynes King can barely pick his nose. And Max Johnson is like just a standard backup. They play awful football. Got a Barris by App State. And like I said, and BYU, I, I don't really know why they're there. Like I said, only two on one. That just feels like they're being way too generous on them. And then some of them, there's some problems there. Washington, too low. Like I say, I don't get why they're so far behind Oregon and Utah State. I mean, uh, Utah, that don't make sense because they've been very comfortable. Michigan, like I say, after that top 10 has played absolutely nobody's. They've just been playing scrubs and beating up on them. That's why Minnesota are so low because they've had a fairly easy schedule despite being 4-0. And that's what Kansas State out for Kansas. But, uh, yeah, AP poll, I tend not to take too much yeah. notice into it because a lot of them are just full of shit. 
Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's kind of all right to see where some of the barometers of these things are. I agree. You know, we want Kansas in there. We're a, we're a Kansas-friendly pod at this moment in time. They they won again this weekend. Just gone. We'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, for now, it's going to change up a lot. But yeah, a lot of one-loss teams up there, up at the top. So hmm, maybe a bit uh, maybe a bit funky with some of these rankings at the minute. John Ball goes rooting for Georgia. Tired of Alabama and Ohio. Amen to that. Um, Ashley is in there. Go Knowles, of course he is. He says FSU is far too low. You know what? Actually, for for once, I agree. You know, Florida State have knocked off LSU. They've knocked off Louisville. They've knocked off oh, whoever they played this weekend. I can't remember. But they, they've had a decent schedule compared to some of those above them. So I agree that they should be a bit higher as well. Right. Let's drop down into the week four previews. And you know, we can't talk about the football. Until we've discussed the fashion. We are all about the unis in college football. And Ryan keeps a very close eye on who's who's looking hot and who's looking not. So over to you, Ryan. What have you seen on the uniform front this week in college? Well, I'm going to start with the bad. I hate the Ohio State blackouts. They're fucking ugly. They don't suit them whatsoever. Black is not a primary colour. So stop trying to make it a thing if it don't work. You just don't look right. And I don't think a lot of the fans like them either. And there's too much red. It can't be a blackout if it's just full of red. Just do an entire black uniform if you're going to do it. At least go all the full wear. So for me, I don't like them. I wish you'd stop wearing them. Just don't suit them. So yeah. The best uniform I've seen this week is Georgia Tech. Their white out is beautiful. It has a white helmet with a gold chrome face mask, gold and navy stripes on the shoulders and gold numbers. It looks beautiful. It's just a shame that they're so rubbish. They're not worthy of such good uniforms. My runner-up is, I love these every year, SMU. They wear their Dallas throwback uniforms. Like They're not that fancy, but they just look great. They're properly retro, and they look like some of the, like the Broncos would wear in like the 70s or 80s. And they're one of my favourite uniforms. They look really smart. In number three, I've got the UNLV Rebels. Their white uniforms this weekend were lovely. Like I said, they're like the, the, just like the script whited out helmet and then like say the red fonts, but they looked really clean and tidy. That's how you do a white out. And my favourite helmet is ECU, the East Carolina Pirates. Their white unit with the gold, with the purple chrome face mask and the shiny purple helmet sticker they look really nice and they're one of the best teams that wear purple in football and everyone talks about washington everyone talks about tcu but no one talks about ecu pirates they're one of the best looking purple teams in football and i'll die on that hill yeah yeah not, not a lot to argue with there I, I loved the unlv uniforms actually it's very rare i say that i like their uniforms and hey they managed to win this weekend as well so it kind of was a good luck omen for them although everybody's beating utah state at the minute that is like one of the biggest murder mysteries this season what happened to utah state they've just died and no one knows why but yeah the unlvs were class i love the um ECU helmets look great as well. I can't remember who it was, but someone was sporting gold helmets this weekend. I was watching the game earlier. I can't remember who it was, but they were clean as anything. I will. It might have been Wake Forest. Well, Wake Forest, did they have the gold helmets with the black that they play in? Is it the gold helmets they have? I think it, 
I think it was the Chrome Helmet Weekend, yeah. Is it the Chrome Golds they've got? If I'm thinking rightly, which I think I am, those were tidy as anything. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give them a shout-out as well. So, yeah, that's um, everything in terms of the unis. Go check them out. There are some great ones there to look at. Um, John Ball goes, hey, Ohio, love it. Yeah, agreeing with you there, Rye. Um, it all goes, I've won tons of SMU, always beat the spread. Yes, they do, but they screwed us over in the pick watch this week, big time. Um, oh, Boston College it was that I said FSU played this weekend. Uh, Boston College one of these teams that confuse me. One week they're really good, one week they're absolute trash, and there's some teams that are beginning to annoy me with how good and then how bad they are this season because you can't get a lock just on how good they are. No, Ash, I wasn't watching the FSU game, unfortunately, so it was definitely not Boston College. Boston College don't have good uniforms for the most part and I will I will go with that one so um, right let us dive down into the games so like I say there were some big shocks this week we're going to go through some of the biggest shocks to start with maybe look at a few of the other storylines that came out then we're going to look at the pick watch um, fixtures but as always if your name gets in the title of this show we're going to talk about you first the show title today obviously he's a middle 10 but he's a Miami QB. Of course, we're talking about Tyler Van Dyke and the Miami Hurricanes and how they were not just beaten, but blown out by Middle Tennessee. The same Middle Tennessee that screwed me over just a few weeks ago when they got blown out by James Madison. They decided, you know what, we're going to go to the home of the Hurricanes and we're going to go and absolutely trounce them. So Miami were 25.5 point favourites for this one. And they proceeded to be absolutely awful. They lost to A&M last week. They looked really poor. And once again, they looked bad this week. It, this is kind of a reminiscence to 12 months ago when Derek King was there and everything was going wrong. It all seems to be going bad for Tyler Van Dyke and Miami at the moment. Like I say, Middle Tennessee, 45-31 to 31 winners. So get this, in the first seven minutes of this game, the first seven minutes of the first quarter, Tyler Van Dyke threw a pick. He then threw a pick six, and then the running back Jalen Knight and fumbled the ball, which Middle, Middle Tennessee recovered. Middle Tennessee got 10 points from those turnovers right off the bat. The Miami secondary was awful, and I mean Michigan State awful. They missed a series of tackles on big plays. The Middle Tennessee quarterback, Chase Cunningham, he had just 16 completions on the day. For 408 yards, that is 25 and a half yards per catch on average. The wide receiver DJ England Chisholm had two catches for 169 yards and two touchdowns. That's an average of 84.5 yards per catch. He got touchdowns on both of them. That included a 98-yard touchdown effort where Cunningham was throwing the ball from the back of his end zone, completely penned in, nowhere to go. He just launches it out towards Chisholm. He runs 98 yards, touchdown. The wide receiver Jalen Lane had four catches for 130 yards. And Elijah Metcalf, the other wide receiver, he had one catch for 69 yards Wee, and a touchdown. The Middle Tennessee offense averaged 8.31 yards per play. They averaged 15 yards per play on dropbacks from the quarterback. They are both 90th percentile figures. They had an 11% explosive play rate, and they dropped 507 yards of offense 
on the Hurricanes. The defense had a 32% run stuff rate, a 12% havoc rate, eight tackles for loss, four sacks, that's to go with the two picks and the forced fumble. Miami, well, they were really bad. They ran 89 scrimmage plays to Middle Tennessee's 61. So, you know, Middle Tennessee only had about two-thirds the offensive plays that Miami did. The offense averaged 4.31 yards per play. That's 10th percentile. They never got within a score of Middle Tennessee after they went 17-3 down halfway through the first quarter. Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback, got sucked out midway through this one. He was 16 of 32, 138 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Jake Garcia, the backup, came in, went 10 of 19 for 169 yards. The returner was the best player for them today, Keyshawn Smith. He had seven returns for 217 yards at 31 yards per return. And he had a return touchdown in there as well. He was also the lead receiver with four receptions for 81 yards. And the running back today as Franklin Jr. had two rushing touchdowns. But, you know, 12 months goes by, Ryan. The Hurricanes seem to be the Hurricanes again. Yeah, not a lot's changed. Turnovers, starting games badly. Like I said, you can't win a game in the first 10, 15 minutes, but you can lose it, and they lost it. Like I said, 17-3 down, they never recovered from it. I remember checking the score at some point. It was like 31-15, and I had to like rub my eyes. I couldn't believe what I was actually seeing. But then I also thought to myself, well, if I go back a year ago, I could believe it. Because we saw teams go into Miami in the middle of a week and blow them out. So, yeah, things are not well there at all. It's all right having this good stud QB, but he's very prone to making errors. Like, say, Paul Apson judgment. And from a draft standpoint, he is nowhere near ready whatsoever. If he's eligible this year, I beg that he decides to return or enter the portal and go somewhere else because he's definitely not ready for the next level he's very raw and they just lack playmakers all over the defense is just it's just bad isn't it i say they just lack elite talent on the end to finish drives to get off the field and then when you couple that in with big explosive plays where they just miss tackles and they just allow drives to be extended because they, they controlled most of the time of possession. They had more players, but they didn't muster any offense. And they had very little defense to go with it. So it compounds what was probably, I'd say that will probably be their worst loss this season. I don't think they'll play much worse or to lesser opposition. But yeah, the head coach is already on a hot seat, I think. Like I say, Christopher Bum, his, his bum should be warming up a little bit. It's weird, isn't it? Because it's like, Middle Tennessee get blown out by James Madison, and then they just decide to go and drop nearly 50 on Miami. It's just like, you can't get... These are one of the teams I can't get read on. You know, I would never have ever predicted they were going to do something like this. But you're right, Cristobal probably is on a hot seat. I mean, Ashes fired shots at him in the chat. He says he can't develop QBs. He uh, mentions Justin Herbert, Anthony Brown, and TVD. Anthony Brown's a scrub. He was beyond saving. So I'm not putting him in that lot there. Um, he says Van Dyke. He's getting a bit big for his boots, Ash, this year. 
I think I he is, isn't it? Few basics for what about Blackman? Like, say, he's, he didn't pan out in FSU. He was a good quarterback, so mm. take your shots while you can. Yeah, exactly. You know what? In fairness, Florida was meant to be a hotbed of talent this year, but TBD's disappointed, Richardson's disappointed, and Travis has actually been one of the few who has probably surpassed expectations. Um, I know the new guy UCF's been bad as well, so yeah. <laughs> I don't have to give it to Travis. He has, uh, he has stood out amongst them all, but the season is yet young, and things can change. But yeah, huge win for Middle Tennessee there, so good on them beating the Hurricanes. The next one that we did not see coming, and I didn't put it in the pig watch because I didn't think it was going to happen. The Texas Longhorns travel into their near rivals, Texas Tech, on the road. Texas 34, Texas Tech 37. Yes, the Longhorns got taken down in an all-Big 12 clash here. And this, I talk about it often, this was the post-game win expectancy shock of the week. So to anyone who's maybe new to this since I've started doing this, post-game win expectancy takes up all your stats during the game, how well you've played, etc., etc., and calculates the odds that you should have of winning that game. So it basically gives you an indicator of if you're lucky to win a game, if you're unlucky to win a game, etc. Texas Tech's post-game win expectancy for this game was 2.4%. That's two, singular 2.4. In other words, given how they played in this game, they would have won it on average probably once every 36 or 37 times that it was played. So this was not a victory that was forecasting. Given how the teams played, they shouldn't have won this game, but they did. It's also the first time they've beaten Texas at home since 2008. And I mean, this was a really good performance for them. They were losing 31-17 to with under four minutes left in the third quarter, but they fought their way back. They hit a field goal with 21 seconds left to go to go 34-31 up, but somehow the Longhorns were able to get into field goal range and hit a field goal of their own as time expired, so it went through into the overtime. It was then that in overtime the unthinkable happened. The stud Texas running back and running back one in the 2023 draft, Bijan Robinson, who is their best player by a night and a day, coughed up a fumble in overtime and it has apparently affected him that much to the point he is walking around campus this week with a ball in his hand daring people to try and knock it out because he doesn't want to fumble again. Texas Tech managed to get their own drive right down to the Longhorns end zone. They chipped in a walk-off field goal for the shock win on the back of that fumble recovery. So Texas Tech, they were relentless in this one. They ran 100 offensive plays from scrimmage compared to Texas's 60. The numbers aren't spectacular, so they're only 4.79 yards per play, that's 18th percentile. Play success rate of 41%, which is 48th percentile, and just 35% success on third downs, which is 29th percentile. But when you run 40 more plays in a game, all those little stats just start to pile up and just push you over the edge there. The Tech defense, it stood up to be counted in this one. It allowed just 10 points to the Longhorns in the second half. And then they came up with the critical forced fumble against Bijan to ultimately win them the game. Donovan Smith, the quarterback for Texas Tech, had a really good game. 38 of 56 for 331 yards and two touchdowns. He also had a rush touchdown as well, but he did fumble it twice when he was running, but only one of them was a loss. 
For Texas Bijan Robinson, well, outside of the fumble, he had yet another 100-yard game and two touchdowns. He is by far and away the best running back in this draft still. Xavier Worthy got his first touchdown of the season. Surprising it's taken him this long to do so, but this is a bad defeat for Texas. But for Tech Ryan, this is big statement winning the Big 12. Oh boy, did Texas balls this up. Like I said, they, they were cruising. Like I said, they had that healthy lead in the middle of the third. It should never even have got to overtime. And that, for me, is just why the Longhorns can never be trusted. They always start seasons well. And then they make these boneheaded errors. Like I say, we know Texas Tech, when they rally, can score points because they made us look silly when we picked, uh, picked Houston. And they took mm. down Houston comfortably. Yeah. So they're, they're not to be trifled with. And then Bijan, yeah, someone that's so sure of himself and is so secure with the ball usually, he couldn't have picked a worse time to cough it up. Chip shot field goal, walk off with a win, and that's going to sting. That will sting the Longhorns massively. I've got a feeling that that could really come back to bite them, making a title game. That, that conference loss could really impact their season. But, yeah, they'll, they'll be really hurting after that. But, yeah. Some bragging rights in Texas. Currently gone to the, the Red Raiders. So they've they picked up two notable wins now. Beating Houston, coming back from Texas. That is, that's going to go a long way. And that's going to look very good at the end of the season. Mm, I think they're running 3-1 and one at the minute, if I'm right. The only defeats come to North Carolina State. So, you know, it's not exactly a bad blemish on your record because they're going to win the ACC this year. So, you know, who knows? Who knows with it? And this is without the first choice quarterback. When the first choice quarterback went down, we all said, oh, they're screwed now. They're done for. But like you say, they've come back with impressive wins one after the other. So who knows what the future holds for Texas Tech. Uh, but fair play to them. But I mean, I know Bijan coughed this one up, but he just looks so damn good, doesn't he? Even when he gets like a six, seven, eight yard run, he's the king of making them look so impressive. Just the amount of tackles he breaks, just how superior he is superior he is to everyone on the field around him. Yeah, he's he's electric, like you say. He's the only back curler that's going in the first round of the draft. I don't think it's any doubt in that. He's this year's Dadji Harris. He's he's head and shoulders above the rest. Everyone else is just clambering behind him. But yeah. He'll uh, yeah, he was upset. So we'll see how long he carries that ball around campus this Sunday and if it makes a difference. If he fumbles again this Sunday, well, I don't know what they'll do. They'll tape balls to his hands, make him, it won't be able to fumble then. <laughs> I know, you think, maybe just do that in a game, just tape the ball to your hand and you'll be absolutely fine. But uh, yeah, heartbreak for Texas, joy for Texas Tech. Right, I'm going to move it on. And now one team who really is starting to anger me this season because one week they play great and I bet on them, the next week they play absolutely awful and I don't bet on them. And I mean... Ryan, what what what's this jump from the FCS to the FBS? It's nothing. It's you know, it, it, this is just child's play. This is James Madison continue their fantastic start to this season. They go to Boone, the home of Appalachian State, on the road, and you go, you know what? I feel like winning today. And Appalachian State, after taking down Texas A&M, after getting that jammy ass field goal, uh, sorry, that jammy ass 
Hail Mary touchdown against Troy the other week, which nearly broke me. Well, their luck run out this week, and you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad you suffered this one, Appalachian State. But, I mean, what a performance from James Madison. They won 32-28. They gave up all 28 points to Appalachian State in a nine-minute spell in the second quarter. They were 28-3 down on the road, like I say, against an App State team which had recently beaten Texas A&M. Yet somehow, they managed to shut them out for the rest of the game. No points at all. 36 minutes of this game left. App State didn't even look close to coming to score any more points. But I mean, talk about the second quarter. It was brutal. So Appalachian got their first touchdown near the start of the second quarter. Then JMU fumbled. App State recovered. They went on to score their second touchdown. Then James Madison turned over on downs at the halfway. Appalachian State drove straight down and scored again. Then Todd Senteo, the quarterback, was strip-sacked. And Appalachian State scored again. Four touchdowns in less than nine minutes on four straight drives. And on the worst part, the drive afterwards, JMU nearly coughed it up again, but they were saved by the slimmest of margins. Their running back coughed it up, but it was declared that his knee was down like a millisecond before the ball came out. That was really a turning point for them, because after that, on that drive, they managed to score before the half. It was 28-10 at half-time, and whatever the coach said to them, at halftime, it worked. They came out a lot more disciplined on both sides of the ball. They spent the whole half sort of slowly clawing back the deficit. It was just a single touchdown in the third as they narrowed the score to 28-17. and 17. They really ramped it up at the start of the fourth. So Todd Santeo, he launched a bomb to Terrence Green for a 36-yard touchdown. They converted a two-point attempt on the back of that. The defense immediately then picked off Chase Bryce, the App State quarterback, with, with an absolutely horrible throw by him. They got it straight back to the Appalachian State eight-yard line. Then JMU ran the ball basically straight in. They were 32-28 up, and they were able to withstand... A late barrage from App State, a good late two-minute drive, but they finally managed to get a turnover on downs to see out the game and record what for them is a massive, massive win in the Sun Belt. So, like I say, James Madison, they kept Nate Noel, Cameron Peoples, the two really good running backs for App State. Both those running backs were averaging 2.2 yards per carry for both of them. They did get a touchdown each, but just 22 yards on 10 carries. App State ended up only having 2.9 yards per carry on 30 rushing attempts. Chase Bryce started well, executing on the short fields that James Madison were giving them, but he tailed off big time, and the interception, like I say, he threw was horrible and really turned it in James Madison's favour because they got two touchdowns in no time at all. On James Madison's side, the running back, Kalen Black, really impressed with him. He ground out the hard yards, converted critical downs when he needed to to move the chains. He got 85 yards on 15 carries and took in what was the game-winning touchdown. Senteo, he started off life really well at James Madison. So 16 of 28, 204 yards and two touchdowns. And he had a touchdown and 61 yards on the ground. The only blemish was that strip sack. Um, so yeah, forgetting the nine-minute meltdown, the James Madison defense was firm. They had a 66% stop rate. They kept App State down to just 31% success rate on third downs, just a 5% explosive play rate allowed, and they kept App State down to 4.8 yards per play. They had a 16% havoc rate, 9 tackles for loss, 4 sacks, 
interception on Bryce, recovered two fumbles, and had a really great day, all told. On App State's side, the linebacker Nick Hampton, he had two sacks, one of which was the strip sack of Centeo. He played well, but on the whole, I look at App State's season, Ryan, they've had this coming towards them, but can't take anything away from James Madison. To come back from such a big hole after so many mistakes, that's a really good performance. I think that might, some might say that could be the biggest win in program history. The way they went about it, I remember doing the conference, let's say, previews at the start, and I said, don't be expected if they can make a run at the Sun Belt instantly. And this is one of those wins that tells me they're ready to compete for a championship already. They've been biding their time now for the FBS for a multiple, multitude of years, and they've made their look, they made the jump look seamless. Like I said, they've started even Liberty after a few years in the FBS are yet to really make a splash and really go after a title but this is a huge program win and this tells me that they're ready to go all the way and try make a championship game in their first season so to come out of a big hole as well against a team that we know can score points it's very impressive it says a lot about where the head coach has got them how well disciplined they are how well they respond to him whatever he said at halftime it worked and I agree yeah like I said, they were great against A&M, but then against Troy, they really rode the luck. But it's uh, they've lost this one. It'll hurt Appalachian State. I expect them to bounce back, but in the long term, this loss could have some form of ramifications when it comes down to the end of the season. This might be the game they looked back on and think, yeah, we should have pressed on after that first half and really creamed them. So, yeah, they'll be disappointed. Yeah, um, Ash goes, wow, I thought you were an App State fan, and no, they're trash. After that, they joined Troy in the bad folder last week for what they did to me on that one. I just, yeah, I do not like them for that. Is this how you're going to treat NC State when they lose to FSU in a few weeks? I don't know. I'll visit an alternate dimension where it might happen, because it ain't happening in this one. I don't know. I think App State are scrubs this year. They lost to UNC when they should have won that UNC game. We've seen now that they've beaten a very bad Texas A&M side, although they kept the ball well, but they did all right with it. But then to just, just sneak past Troy, where they were about 17-point favourites for that, and then to lose at home against James Madison with a 25-point lead, I'm going to call App State Scrubs this year now, because I think they are a bad team. If you can't convert from there, you need to get so lucky in your other games then. Yeah, I'm not with them this year. I, I, I think they're a bad side, so we'll see. I think James Madison will be closer to the title at the end of the season. Now, the big FCS upset this week, or is it? I don't know if it is, going through some of the stats for this one. I think maybe this is something we should expect. Um, Colorado State, Ryan, what an absolute mess they are at this moment in time. At home... Weekend just gone, playing Sacramento State of the FCS. Sacramento State 41, Colorado State 10. The only way Jay Norvell will be sleeping well at night right now is if his paycheck is making him forget about all the issues he is encountering at the start of his Colorado State tenure. It has not been pretty. So let's just have a rundown of what's gone on with him so far. Five players have already left the program. Apparently more are preparing to leave as his um, 
style of coaching doesn't seem to be taking on there by all accounts. He's broken his quarterback Clay Millen already, so he's the freshman he bought over from Nevada with him because, of course, he took about 16 players from Nevada when he came across. Um, he went down and did not get back up in the second quarter of this game. Took his 24th sack of the season. 24th in three games and one quarter. That's just sacks. That doesn't include quarterback hits, of which there have been a lot more than that. In just three games, you've already broken him. That's how early you are in. The left guard, Dante Bivens, went down with an injury, which is thought to be fairly bad. That's the third injury in the offensive line since the starting day. They've lost both starting tackles, and now they're starting left guard. They finished their non-conference schedule 0-4. In the four games against Michigan, Middle Tennessee, Washington State, and Sacramento, they've been outscored 164 points to 43. They are now on a 10-game losing streak, which is the largest in the FBS, and this is their first 0-4 start since 2007. They've lost three of their last four games against FCS opposition, and if that wasn't enough, the crowd have already turned on him. They were booing him a lot in this game just gone, especially after the quarterback got hurt. And if that wasn't worse for him, they've got a bye week now, but his next opponent, Nevada, the team that he screwed over not long ago by leaving and taking all their players. So that's going to be a huge game for him. And a real indictment on this team. At no point was the win probability in their favour in this game. Now, even in pretty much every game, a team, even if it's just for one snap, will get a win probability of some kind that's in their favour. <laughs> Colorado State, who are the FBS team, never. From the start, it was all Sacramento State. In terms of Sacramento State, they are the defending Big Sky champions. They're the sixth-ranked team in the FCS currently. But their record against FBS teams was 2-23, and and this was their first win against FBS opposition since 2012, so in a decade. This is their first 3-0 start since 1992, when I was just a couple of years old. Their defense had a massive 71% stop rate, kept the Colorado State run game down to 3.7 yards per carry, 14% havoc rate with 7 tackles for loss and 2 sacks. The offense was good. They had a 63% completion rating on third downs, 55% success in the red zone. When it comes to Colorado, it was all bad. The offense was 22nd percentile in yards per play, 9th percentile in third down conversion, 24th percentile in red zone success. On one particular sequence, they were first and goal from the seven. They ran it three times, had three runs stuffed, and then had to kick the field goal. They didn't even try and go for it. The defense had a pitiful 16% stop rate. Um, so that's nine in every ten drives for Sacramento State were getting points. And outside of the pick and a couple of sacks, they did nothing. Even the special teams sucked. The punter had a 17-yard punt in this game, and he also hit a line drive punt that got returned for 50 yards on him. Sacramento State had an average starting field position 15 yards better than their FBS counterpart because of special teams. Yikes, Ryan. Jay Novell, I don't even think in his wildest dreams would have predicted that things were going to start out this badly for him. I mean, he's going to resign. Come end of season, he won't wait for him. He won't wait to get fired. He'll resign. He'll think, I'm going to get out of this before it gets too ugly. Now, was this score a surprise? No. 
because through four weeks of the season, we before today, before that game, there'd already been seven FCS, FBS upsets. That was eight for just four weeks of the season. Without looking at numbers, that's got to be some sort of record. We are going to be looking at historic numbers this year for how many FCS sides beat FBS. We the, the, Right now, it is alarming. You're having two a week, and that is pretty crazy. So it wasn't that much of a surprise. And Nevada, oh, they'll be licking their lips, won't they? I bet they can't wait till he comes to town. I reckon they could. Even Nevada have had a rough start to the season, but they're going to drop a hammer on Colorado State, and it's going to be personal. If you think you've seen an ugly uh, crowd here or the atmosphere, just wait till that game. That is going to be the ugliest, worst atmosphere he's ever going to coach in. But yeah, terrible, like I say. And the players he's brought in haven't made the slightest bit of difference whatsoever. Will they go winless? Is this a season? I think there's a good chance they're one of the teams that could go winless. And you know, one of the worst parts for him, this was, I think, what they call their orange out there. This was like their big day when they get all the fans in. Apparently, there was meant to be about 25,000 there to watch this. They said by the end, there was probably about seven, six or 7,000 left at the end of this one. And some of them obviously would have been Sacramento State fans. So the fans really gave up on them on this one. Um, so, yeah, this was... This was grim. This was rough, and yeah, you know, I kind of feel, I kind of feel happy for Nevada because of this, because he screwed them over so bad. And at least even Nevada, like I say, they're terrible. They have a win. Jay Norvell doesn't, so it's a little victory there for them in terms of how that goes. Right, moving on. A few others. I don't know why I hate them, but I do. But every time Oklahoma lose, I get really happy. I don't know why. I just don't know if you have teams like that, Ryan, where one week they lose and then you just feel this unjust sense of happiness. But I don't like Oklahoma. And for, I think they said this is the third time in four years, they've been beaten by the Kansas State Wildcats, 41 points to 34. Um, And this is Kansas who lost, I believe, to Tulane last week that they lost and then they come off and they pull this victory here the Big 12 Big 12 is looking very intriguing this year because at the minute everybody's beating everybody I mean intriguing is a fun way to say it's a hot mess (laughs) (laughs) it makes it interesting because like I said TCU they're looking pretty good and we're about to feature their matchup so Oklahoma will be reeling yeah Kansas State, like you say, they just have their number. Three of the four, last four years, obviously for, they had Skylar Thompson for a few of those, but he's gone now, and they've still managed to beat an Oklahoma team that is still stacked with talent, led by Dylan Gabriel. So, yeah, they just it's a proper bogey team for them, and it's not a good way to start your B12 resume when there's a lot of unbeaten teams in the B12. There's a lot of teams right now that have got a goose egg. You can't be losing slipping up to them this early, so... It's it's basically going to be a pick and mix who makes that title game. I ain't got a Scooby. No, I don't have a Scooby either. We didn't do it because we didn't do the Power 5 conferences, but I would probably have struggled if we did. And right now, I don't have a good... Kansas State could do it. I mean, of all the teams here, but 
Adrian Martinez, the hero of the day, him formerly of Nebraska, how he must be laughing at Nebraska at this moment in time as he sits in the AP Top 25 with a 3-1 team, 21 of 34 for 234 yards and a touchdown through the air, he had 21 carries for 148 yards and 4 touchdowns on the ground, he is still and will always be a glorified running back, Juice Vaughn however is a very good running back in his own right he had a ton on the day 25 carries 116 yards averaging just a smidge under five yards per carry for him but a really good day nonetheless the defense stacked up on a few sacks on dylan gabriel as well i mean dylan gabriel's looked good at oklahoma so far he had 26 of 39 330 yards four touchdowns this defeat was not on him eric gray 16 carries 114 yards on the ground seven yards per carry dylan gabriel had nine yards on uh, per carry on the ground over seven so oklahoma's run game did all right offense did all right but like last year it seems to be the defense that's dragging them down once more. Marvin Mims continues his record of touchdown scoring. He got one touchdown and 87 yards on the day. But it, it does feel a little similar to Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma, doesn't it? You know, good offense, pretty good in all facets there. But the defense is just whoosh for a team of their caliber. Yeah, it's, it's just bad. Defense in Oklahoma, it just stinks, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, so last year, they score 40. Opposition scores 30. Opposition scores 40, they score 30. They just keep getting dragged into these shootouts where really they should be trying to just manage clock, not get dragged into these stupid 78-point games because then their defense just gets exploited all over the place. But they're just incapable of holding teams to like 14 points lately. Like I say, one or two scores, they always just seem to be getting caught out. Big explosive players as well, that's the worst bit. They're getting caught out on like big 30, 40 yard passes. People getting into pine defensive backs. The secondary Oklahoma, it's been a bit of a hot mess for a few years, hasn't it? They really haven't produced many defensive backs for the NFL. I can't even name the last corner they sent to the NFL because they just struggle. I say it just it just looks bad. And I feel for Dylan Gabriel. He transferred because he was on a team that didn't help him. And then now he's thinking about trying to enter the draft and he's still now got a defence that just can't help him. He can do everything right and they still lose games and it's not really his fault. No, scouts want to go and watch the premier fixtures with good teams in it. If you're bogged down the middle or the bottom of that big 12, they ain't going to come and watch you on mass like they will do some of the bigger games. So, yeah, it's a shock for him there. So, hopefully, maybe that changes as far as he goes. Um, before we discuss the pick watch results, a few other things I've picked out from this weekend. Um, Louisiana Monroe upset nine and a half point favourites, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, in what is known as the Battle of the Bayou. I think it's Bayou or Bayou. Bayou. Um, so, yeah, big win for them. Navy beat East Carolina as 16.5-point underdogs. Those uniforms may have sizzled for East Carolina, but their performance did not. Utah State lost to UNLV, and it wasn't even close, 
their horror season continues and what the hell happened like was the Mountain West just that bad last year that they were able to win it almost by default that is looking like it might be the case at this moment in time Northwestern boy 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 Ireland seems <laughs> like a very long time ago to Northwestern now when they took apart Nebraska they have lost to a smorgasbord of teams it was Southern Illinois the other week this week they've managed to lose to Miami Ohio as um, I just don't know how Fitzgerald's gonna can justify staying in a job there but I guess one winning season every five or six seems to do the job for him but out of those few there Ryan anything that surprised you anything that made you laugh make you cry the Mountain West it's bad how how does it look so bad like there's reports that Hank Backmeyer has just is entering the portal. He wants out of Boise State because they fired their offensive coordinator last week. And to be fair, that was probably justified. If anyone's seen at Boise State this season, their offense is dreadful. It's been coached so badly. And now the QB wants out. And I've seen it on Instagram. I haven't seen anything official, but apparently he's done. I don't know if he's just left the team, he's entering the portal, but I'll be surprised to see if he's in attendance this Sunday or if he's going to be at the game. I don't know who the backup is, but for a team that was going so bad, that's just even worse. That, that just derails their whole future, which is not looking good in general. So, yeah, the Mountain West in general is really bad this year. Yeah. Apart from, like, Air Force and that, they're, they're, they're good. But, yeah, the rest of it is it's just bad. Yeah, and I agree. Pat Fitzgerald should be fired this year. He really should be. His record is currently, like, 110 and, like, 91. And... That's really not that good. He's been there since like 2007. I said he's he's had like a winning season like every three years, and then he goes like 500 for two or three years, and right now he's in the midst of those winning those average seasons where they're struggling this year. When's enough enough? Like I say, the quarterback player Ryan Klinsky is just not good enough. He's too hot and cold. Hull, the running back. Feel sorry for him because he's doing everything he can. He's one of the best rushers currently in the nation, but Northwestern just keep laying down. So yeah, they they are a hot mess. So I expect they're going to be a lot of head coach firing soon. Mm, absolutely agreed. Um, Goodwin in the Battle of the Bayou for Louisiana Monroe. The Raging Cajuns were decent last year, and you know nine and a half point favorites in that they they upset them. That's a big that's a big victory for them because they don't beat them that often. No. I feel like when Billy Napier left, I feel like some of that magic lost Louisiana. They lost mm. Levi Lewis, their quarterback, I think, last year, the yeah. starter, and their head coach. Like Those two, for me, were carrying the torch. So, yeah, they're going through a transition period, but that's going to sting because ULM have been pretty bad for the last few years. So, bragging rights are kind of all they can cling on to. So, yeah, that's going to hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw Micro Mike in the chat somewhere earlier. Thanks for joining us, Mike. I uh, hope you are all right this evening. Um, so, Ash did some digging for you. The the nearest cornerback he's been able to come up with taken from Oklahoma in the draft was Zach Sanchez in 2016. He was taken in round five, if I got his ring there. So, yeah. He mentions Trey Norwood and Trey Brown, but they're safeties. And I'm pretty sure Trey Norwood wasn't Oklahoma, but I could be wrong. I could be really wrong. I thought he was 
Oklahoma State. Trino Wood was Oklahoma State, wasn't he, last year? Am I am I thinking things wrong? Don't remember. Is he in Seattle? I don't know. But I swear he was Oklahoma State, not Oklahoma. I could be wrong. Could be 100% wrong. But yeah, it looks like it's been five or six years since Oklahoma have had a cornerback drafted. Right. Time to go through the pick watch results, cause boy, oh boy, there were some bad ones in here, and me I mean, and you struggled. We don't have to. <laughs> well, we don't have to, but you know, you know, people people are involved in this competition, so we kind of have to. And there are some fun games in here. So the first one, West Virginia thirty-three, Virginia Tech ten, and like Appalachian State, I am done, done with Virginia Tech. I am absolutely done with them because every time I bet on them at home, they lose. Every time I bet on them when they're at home, they win because of that atmosphere there. But no, when I bet on them, they lose. They were absolutely rancid in this game. The offense was rancid. 36 yards on 18 carries. Grant Wells, one touchdown, one interception, 193 yards in the air. That was it. You know, the only thing they were not awful at on either side of the ball in this game was the havoc rate of the defense. And that was just 9%. That's lower mid percentile. That's not good at all. West Virginia, they had a really good mix of pass and run in this one. JT Daniels continues to have a good season. He threw over 200 yards and a touchdown with no turnovers. CJ Donaldson and Justin Johnson Jr. ran over Virginia Tech. They had a combined 200 yards between them. And the West Virginia defense was able to chip in with a pick six as well, saving their head coach's skin at least a little while longer in the rivalry game here. But yeah, Virginia Tech are pure and utter putrid. I don't even know how to say the word. They're putrid. I was trying to think of an even bigger word than putrid there, but they're horrible, aren't they? Yeah, I'm going to go out there at a limb and say this year Virginia is one of the worst states of football. Virginia Cavaliers, terrible. Brennan Armstrong, he's been kidnapped and been replaced by another left-handed ginger. Because this one can't throw the ball for shit. They look awful. Grant Wells, he's just picking up where they left off at the Marshall Thundering Herd. Likes to have a good game where, a good game, and he'll throw four interceptions. Virginia Tech, terrible. And do you know what? The JT Daniels re- re- renaissance can just fight its on for another week, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Let's say. I don't know who I prefer still of Slovis and JT Daniels, but it's just nice to see the kid playing football. Yeah. Like I said, at least he looks healthy. If you don't, if you don't get drafted or he never goes pro, at least he can cling on to one good season where he's not hurt and he's not a backup. No. Well, I'm really happy to see him playing well. I, you know, I did want West Virginia to win this, you know, just because of him. I, I think he's just had such horrible injury. It's great to see, but yeah, I think... West Virginia's head coach, he is, he, you know, he's on borrowed time. He's going to be gone soon. This is only going to provide light relief to him, and another defeat in the near future might do it as far as he's done. But yeah, screw you, Virginia Tech. I do not like. Well, on the opposite, in a game of good quarterbacks, Ryan, your favorite team of all time, the 2021 Wake Forest Demon Deacons are back. They look exactly the same as last year once more, and what better way to welcome defense. <laughs> well, yeah, what better way to welcome them back than a double overtime near 100 point shootout against Clemson with probably and very surprisingly maybe the best quarterback duel in the entirety of college football this weekend. So Sam Hartman he settled back in after his injury issues. 
20 of 29 for 337 yards and six touchdowns. He torched Clemson secondary. This is a Clemson secondary that was forced to start three freshmen due to injuries and circumstance. And you could tell he went after them literally all game long and had such success. Jamal Adams, the wide receiver, he really stood out. Six receptions for 141 yards and two touchdowns. Donovan Green got two touchdowns on just two receptions for over 50 yards as well. But Sam Hartman upstaged from the most likely of sources. DJ Uangalele. We talk about JT Daniels' renaissance. DJ's renaissance is probably far superior to this. This was probably his best ever appearance for Clemson. He went 26 of 41 for 371 yards and five touchdowns with another 50 yards on the ground. He was laser accurate, and I mean laser accurate, all day long. He picked just as badly on a vulnerable Wake Forest secondary. He came up with two clutch throws for touchdowns in both periods of overtime before Clemson's battered secondary finally was able to make a play and battered down a fourth down pass from Sam Harvin. They were able to finally wrap up the game. Will Shipley, he's, he's looking really great as usual. He had about 105 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Six different receivers got three or more receptions. DJ's not only throwing it well, he's spreading the workload all over the field so you don't know where he's going to hit you from. Four different guys caught touchdowns from him in this one. Um, I mean, right, for Wake Forest, it's 2021 all over again. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a high-powered passing attack that puts up loads of points, but they've got no run game to support it and diversify that offense just a little bit when things aren't going right. And the defense could not stop a running nose, to put it um, simply. It's it, it's 2021 all over again. It's 20, 20, 2017 to now all over again. This Wake Forest team has wasted every year of Sam Hartman by putting out a pathetic limp wet behind the ears defence. Every game last season, I think they scored nearly 35 points. They had to. I think in like nearly every game, win or lose, they had to score 35 points because their defence allowed that many points. That is absolutely unforgivable. Like I said, and he's come back again. Nothing's changed. I am just, I'll be so glad when he graduates because they have just, they've just not given the tools to win. They're not going to win the ACC this year because that defence is just bad. It was bad last year and they almost got to an ACC championship. It's just as bad. And as you mentioned, oh, what's the running back? I can't remember running back their name. End of the portal that went out last year. Their only run game. He had a double barrel last name. Yeah, I, I, yeah I can't either. He was that only essence of a run game and he got hurt and he left the programme at the end of the season. And now, like you say, there is no wrong game to support it. A.T. Perry, I noticed as well, he's not getting much of the ball. He's, he's, he started the season very slowly, and I think he's one of the best guys in the draft. So, yeah. So, the, the weapons aren't being maximised. But, yeah. This is going to be one of those so near, but yet so far seasons for him. And what happens after Sam Hartman leaves, I don't know. The Wake Forest programme is going to be in disarray. Yeah. But Clemson, Clemson, new offensive coordinator rejuvenated Will Shipley fit. We're seeing the five-star back that he was. He was one of the highest recruits in the last few years. Looks really good. And yet, DJU, it was terrible last year. 
he was calling poor games. They were giving him bad plays. Like I say, he wasn't. He was getting too much pressure as well. The offensive line was struggling. But yeah, Clemson looked good. Clemson the best team in the ACC. They're back. I think they're officially back this year for their crown, and it couldn't have come any sooner because it could be his final year. So yeah, I just Wake Forest. I just can't continue to do this. If they're going to try and win every game again this year, 40 they're going to come out on the wrong side of too many of them because they've been worked, they've been exposed again. But no, yeah, Clemson, their defense was surprisingly lapsed, but yeah, they had some injuries, but the offense high powered. So yeah, fun. The SEC is always interesting, it's always throws up to help surprise. Yeah, I think Wake Forest have missed the boat now. Like you say, Clemson. Clemson looked really good. And that offensive line looked a lot better. I mean, there was like one play when he threw it, when DJ threw it to his tight end for a touchdown. I think they had about seven seconds or something like that. They kept him fully, fully free of any pressure from the, the tight end. Got into the end zone, ran around, stopped, looked and saw he'd still got the ball in his hand, and just ran off. And it, it was there. It was it, it's striking compared to last year. So they're dangerous. It was a weird player called Law. Yeah. At the end of overtime, they only needed seven yards, but he, he took a shot at the end zone. Oh, he yeah. Every I don't know why they did that. Like, see, they were only on, like, fourth and seven. They didn't need the 30-yard score. They didn't need to get it all back. So, yeah, I think that is one pass. When he looks back on the end of this year, that'll be the throw he wants back the most. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it didn't look right for him. He just looked like he tried to force it and be too clever with it, and yeah, it was a bit, was a bit funny. Um, Christian Beale Smith was the guy in question. Ashes obviously come yeah. up with the name. He was name good. He was one, good, so. but he got hurt too often. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, but yeah, they've got nothing there now. So yeah, uh, we both backed Clemson though, so that was a good one for us. They eventually came through in double overtime there. One horse we did back who did not come through for us, and this upset me greatly. Arkansas at Texas A&M. We both. Picked Arkansas. Arkansas 21, Texas A&M 23. Heartbreak for the Razorbacks, but they only have themselves to blame, and I am very, very angry with them. They started good in this one. They were 14-0 up um, quite early in this, and they were in the Texas red zone again when my guy, KJ Jefferson, love him to bits, but college players make mistakes, and he is not infallible. Um, they were in the red zone. I think they were about three or four yards away, and he made... The boneheaded decision to try and jump over the scrum and take it into the end zone himself. Well, there's a reason you don't jump over the scrum because you're vulnerable, you're in the air, the ball can get knocked out, and knocked out it was. Texas A&M picked it up. They started to return it. It looked like the Arkansas, I think it was one of their wide receivers, had stopped the play dead. He caught the guy, but the guy handed off the ball to another A&M player, and he just ran off. And I don't think anyone realised he got the ball. They returned it all the way for a touchdown, and um, all of a sudden the momentum changed in that one. They got another touchdown before halftime. It was 14-13 to Arkansas at the half. But then Texas, they got a touchdown. They got field goal. KJ then did run in a touchdown for Arkansas to make it 23-21, and they thought they'd done this just perfectly. Their final drive took forever. They only needed a field goal. They milked the clock for what seemed like an eternity. They got it down to 1.30 to go right in the Texas red zone. Then it all fell apart. The kicker was called up 
42-yard field goal to win the game for them, basically. Oh, well, Texas would have had a chance to come back, but it would have been unlikely. Um, and he doinked it. Hit it all the way up the top of the right pile, and it hit the top of the right post, agonizingly fell on the wrong side, and Texas were able to kneel this one out. It was a good punch for Arkansas, but their mistakes led to this, unfortunately. KJ did have a good day outside of that, 12 of 19 for 171 yards and two touchdowns in the air, and he had 105 yards and 18 carries with a touchdown on the ground, so... Kids make mistakes, he's not infallible, but Arkansas should have won this one, right? I blame you. You're always telling me I'm me? Uh, No! Oh, yeah. <laughs> you saw this, Ryan. It's like the Troy game. A 42-year field goal, that's all they needed. You saw it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you saw this on Twitter. Was this the field goal that... Is this the field goal that hit the flag yeah. on the top of the post? Yeah, it hit on the right. How'd you do that? It hit the right upright. It doinked the top and then fell down the wrong side. If it had fallen on the other side, I think they would have countered it. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it was so bad. Arkansas looked so good at the start of this game as well. I think they scored on like the first two drives and they looked unstoppable. And then it just all fell to bits. So, yeah, A&M just still look back. A&M are squeaking out undeserved victories at this moment in time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not on board with it at all. They're still a bad team, but, you know, Arkansas screwed up. And as a result, they've got Alabama this weekend. And I just hope KJ survives Will Anderson. If he's able to survive Will Anderson, then, you know, that's a, that's a moral victory. It's a, it's a result. Um Florida and Tennessee up next. This, a lot closer than it should have been. Tennessee running away with this game, and then they decided to try and let Florida back in this one. Florida put up 12 points in the final quarter, got it to within a score. Tennessee just kind of seemed to want to play around with them a little bit and um, nearly risk getting burned, but Florida weren't able to make the comeback in the end. Me and Ryan both bet Tennessee on this one. I mean, Taylor, two quarterbacks, right? It's not Hendon Hooker. 22 of 28, 349 yards, two touchdowns. He had 13 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He was actually the leading rusher of the day over Jabari Small. Um, I mean... I've seen a lot spoken about Hendon Hooker recently. Obviously, the age is a problem. He's going to be 25 and a half when the draft comes around. That's that's old for a quarterback. But compared to all these guys, the Brennan Armstrongs, the Tyler Van Dykes, the Anthony Richardsons, who were really disappointing this year, he's, he's having a damn good year. And it's the question's been asked now, should he be quarterback three, maybe, in this draft? Uh, I'd say so, yeah. I think... We've just seen the fact that your age isn't a problem. Can you think he got drafted? I look today, Will Levis will be nearly 24. Uh, Sam Hartman, 23-24. This is an old crop of quarterbacks. So if we're going to use age against them, then that should probably put you off half of them. So no, but yeah, I, I'd take Hendon Hooker or Andrew Richardson every day. If I have to draft one of them in like this third round, I'll take Hendon Hooker before I'll take Hendon Richardson. I say he's having a really good year. The Volunteers look good too. I say they look a good side. 
They do. I mean, you've you've got the run game. Jabari Small, he had, what, 122 yards all told and two touchdowns. You've only got a good running back with you, it helps. They've got the receivers there. The defense usually is pretty decent in this one. I know they got a couple of picks. They got a few sacks on Richardson in this, so... Fair play to them. Florida, I think, they, they never looked like they were in this game. I think Tennessee were just letting them hang around before putting them away at the end. I mean, Anthony Richardson, he did better today. 24 of 44, he did better today. He did better on Saturday. 24 of 44, 453 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, a lot of yardage, but not the most production. He had 17 carries for 62 yards and two touchdowns on the ground as well. Justin Shorter led the way with 155 yards and seven receptions. Ricky Pearsall, I know Florida are garbage at the minute, but I know you have an affinity for him, been an ex-Arizona State guy, 103 yards and a touchdown on five receptions. They might suck, but he does not. No, he's their, I think he's their best receiver so far this year. They're just, they're just too hot and cold. Florida start the season well. And then they go and have a stinker against Kentucky. Like I say, and then they start too slowly in this game, put up a lot of yardage, but none of it's in the red zone. I just don't get Florida. They're just a weird team, and ultimately, they're not going to win many games. They're the games that they don't deserve to win. They're the games where they do all the heavy sledding like this, but don't put any points. And Florida, the team that head coaches go there and get fired because they pull out a team to win and the team just lets them down coaches just go let it die like say there's so much pressure in florida and no one ever seems to be able to live up to it if they can't do it with Anthony richardson who the hell can they do it with it's one of the most gifted dual threat quarterbacks i've had for a long time but it just isn't working i say he just he's too inconsistent and he scares the life out of me at the draft People yeah. saying him to Detroit, like, say, he terrifies me. Yeah, oh, yeah, he needs another year in college, yeah. If he's smart, he'll stay there another year. This is his first year starting. He looks like he needs another full year there. I mean, like you say, they've got few parts. I think Ventral Miller's ranking as the best linebacker in the country the at the minute. Ventral, yeah. I mean, I think he'll, I think he'll end the draft this year, actually. Yeah, I mean, I'll do more. I, I, I'm going to look more in, but I, I've got interest in Ventral Miller this year. I know he's a hard hitter and he plays hard. I think he's exactly what Dan Campbell would like here if they do choose to go that way. So, yeah, they're a, they're an on and off team with some good talent in there, but that is it. Um, speaking of on and off teams that have got some talent in there, but that is it. They're not going to do much otherwise. The UNC Tar Heels, North Carolina against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, Notre Dame just have been bad for quite some time now this season, and then they decide to go and drop nearly 50 on UNC. This finished UNC 32, Notre Dame 45. Drake May continues to have a really good year. 17 of 32, 301 yards, five touchdowns. Antoine Green got himself 150 yards and two touchdowns on just three receptions on the day. That Notre Dame secondary, even with Brandon Joseph, is looking vulnerable still. But Notre Dame's offense finally decided to turn up for a game instead. Drew Pine, 24 of 34, 289 yards, three touchdowns. Aldrich Estime, the running back, he had 134 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Chris Tyree, 80 yards and a touchdown. The run game was 
weirdly good this time, considering it's not been great this season so far. Michael Meyer, the tight end prospect, one of the better ones in in uh, college football. He had 88 yards and a touchdown, seven receptions. He continues to do well there. But, I mean, I think these are two teams who, they're all right, but they're no special. I mean, what a weird game for Notre Dame to just finally turn up to. How they're bad for three weeks and then they turn up at this game and decide to finally put on a clinic. Like, we've known for a fact that UNC have got absolutely no defence. We saw that last year. Their defence absolutely reeks. Like I say, they've just played a freshman quarterback, like I say, that is very inexperienced and he's dropped 45 points on them. Where do the Tar Heels go from here? I just, I don't know. Like I said, their defence is just, it's just bad. Like I say, you've got Cameron Kelly, you've got Storm Duck, like these players that want to go to the draft, and they're getting torched by what was a, one of the league's most anemic offences for the three weeks. It must just, it's probably been a light, it's like being a Lions fan, being a UNC fan. You've got this high-powered offence, and your D just, it stinks. I don't <laughs> it know. Just, it must just be more painful. I think they're, they're reaping what they show. I think it was Gene Chiswick they hired, wasn't it? And I think he's got like a history of not having a good defense since like the noughties. If I'm th- if I'm thinking of the right guy, um, you kind of reap what you sow with it, really. So yeah, the, the defense. Is Marcus Freeman era is finally up for running. Yeah. Kind of oh yeah. He needed that. He really, yeah. really oh, needed that. Oh, badly. Yeah. Now can they follow it up? Like I say, now they've got that scalp win and they've got the offense firing they really need to follow it up I was all for none mm, yeah definitely I mean I know you ain't sold on Drake May and you may never will be but is he at least starting to maybe change your perception of him a little bit five touchdowns against Brandon Joseph and co it's it's no to sniff at he's having a decent year the offense ain't the problem there no offense is not the problem offense was never the problem with Sam Howell either I say it was always the line and the defense, and they've just not fixed them again, have they? So yeah, they're gonna. UNC will continue to pump out good quarterbacks, but just not generate defense. And Drake May will go on, put great numbers at UNC, but they just won't win many games until unless they have to leave, or unless they have a recruiting class on defense that is actually half decent. Mm. Yeah, agreed. They, they, they need to draft a defence there and get him going, but they could do some good things with him, but again, like I say, not getting backed, just like Dylan Gabriel. Um, okay, moving it on. Oh, We were so close on this one, Ryder, looking really clever, and we saw probably what was the biggest choke of the weekend in the Pac-12. Washington State. No, Washington State and Oregon. Washington oh, State and Oregon. So we both picked Washington State to win. I believed in Cameron Ward and may have gotten right to side That's along with me. Yeah, Oregon won 44 points to 41. We said Oregon screw up on the road. They were on the road to Washington State. Washington State coming off that impressive win at ranked Wisconsin. And what did they do? They gave up 29 points to Bo Nix in the fourth quarter. 29, how do you give up 30 points to that mid-fraud in one quarter? I don't get it. They looked really good 
for three and a bit quarters in this game. And I sat there thinking, me and Ryan Ray clever here. We saw this coming. Washington State going to win this at Canada. But no, Oregon just had to come along and make us look like fools instead. Bo Nix, 428 yards in the air. Three touchdowns and an interception. They didn't really even have a run game in this one. Marquise Irving and Noah Whittington. They were running at six, seven yards a carry, but they didn't get that many. Troy Franklin, the wide receiver, 137 yards and a touchdown. Down. There was there was a lot going on here. Washington State, Cameron Ward, he's still developing at the FBS level. He threw two touchdowns and two picks, got 375 yards, completed 37 of 48. So an all right day, but the turnovers, turnovers are costly little things here for them. And their defense was pretty much non-existent on both sides after the fourth quarter in this. But Washington State choked badly in this one, and... I'm annoyed with them. Oh, yeah. One, they like 17-6 up at half-time as well. They dominated that first half. It was a cakewalk at the half, I remember. It was 17-9 at the half. Yeah, so they, they, they held them, I think, three field goals in the first half. Yeah. But, yeah, do you know what? I'll give it credit. Some of the players came out. Noah Sewell had his best game of the season. He had two and a half sacks, I mm. think. Yeah, he, he showed up finally. And then... Yeah, Cameron Ward showed a bit of naivety, didn't he? Like I say, with the interceptions. But I've seen good from Cameron Ward. And so far, I've seen some naivety and a bit of bad. But I believe that Washington State are still a team on the rise. I still I still give them credit for almost causing a massive upset. But yeah, they just don't know how to finish. And Oregon, I see people giving Bonix a lot of credit, like, just wind your neck in. Like, look how bad he was for three quarters. Just because he turned it on in the last quarter to save Oregon's blushes, they are probably going to limp to a Pac-12 title game. And I am not here for it. I am sorry people still blowing smoke up Oregon's ass. I hope, like, I hope Utah or Washington absolutely annihilate them when they meet. <laughs> I agree. I don't think they deserve to be there, but you feel like they're going to scab their way through, don't you? It's kind of like Notre Dame last year. They kind of scab their way through the season, even though they really didn't deserve to be anywhere near where they were in the conferences. They just seemed to get it done. Um, right, well, talking of quarterbacks who annoyed you, you know, Bo Nix is there. Why don't we talk about Blake Schappen? <laughs> you said last week he's going to screw up against Iowa State. Iowa State are going to beat the Baylor Bears. I believed in him this week, and uh, Baylor won 31 to 24. Schappen 238 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. A weird one for him, but um, Iowa State. There were two picks on their side. There were a few fumbles as well. I think this was kind of a like a bit of a just a bit of indiscipline on their side when it came turnovers did in this one. I think Baylor won because of the turnovers, but. You know, good win for Baylor, but yeah, you lost on this one. Chapman looked okay. Yeah, was it Hedeker? Decker. Hedeker. Hunter Decker. Two, picks, two touchdowns. Yeah, that was annoying. That game was there to be won. Iowa State could have won that if they wanted to, but yep, just they were too loose, they were too generous. And Baylor capitalised and said, thank you very much. Gobbled up the turnovers and scored enough points in the end, but I still don't trust Baylor this year. There's no. just something about them that just makes them untrustworthy. They're not the same as when they had Bohannon last year. They're not winning comfortably, despite their record. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. They're on the list I don't trust at the minute. That that list is growing really big week by week. There are a lot of teams starting to go on that untrust list. But yeah, Baylor, good win for them there. Washington beat Stanford. Not going to talk too much about that. Put that in there as a trap game. But Tanner McKee was Tanner McKee. He was all right, but he ain't no special. And I don't know why he's ranked so highly in this draft. I mean, I guess I'll quickly say Penix and Washington week by week. They're, they're not losing. They ain't sacking him. That offensive line is is like keeping him... He, he, he could sit in a chair and throw some of these balls. He's under so little pressure these weeks. I mean, do, do we have to start looking at Washington maybe as legit now? I mean, it's Pac-12, yeah. I think Washington have been irrelevant for years now. Like I said, they, they've, they've had good defences, but their offence is just not matched. I remember, like I said, the time when Washington would dominate. They were one of the best teams in the entire nation. They'd go out there and they'd challenge the Big Ten sides and the, the SEC. But yeah, those times might be coming back. I think they are a strong, strong contender to win the Pac-12. And if I had to put my hat... Through so many weeks now, if I had to say it, if I was going to put a Pac-12 team in the playoff, I think I'd send Washington right now over yeah. Oregon or Utah. They are beating teams more comfortably. And that offensive line is strong. Mm. And the defense is usually good in Washington as well. They've sent umpteen number of players to the NFL in recent years. And looks like with this crop again, they're probably going to. Because, you know, Tanabiki didn't have much luck against them. And the offense is meant to be okay. So, meh. Ash says, but we have to love Oregon because of the Souls, though. You know what? Hot take here. I've called on Noah Soul right now. I think he's had a bad year so far, and I'm not justifying a first-round pick for him anymore. That's why you don't go too big, too heavy on some of these guys early. But, yeah, I'm not... Noah Sewell needs to earn my trust back, because he's been bad so far, and the Oregon team have been far from convincing. Um, two games left to go. Another guy who might go on your, you know, disappointing list, Tanner Mordecai. We both said that SMU at home were going to have their way with Texas Christian, and Texas Christian won. You know, Tanner Mordecai, another two picks he threw this time. I know he got 380 yard yards and a couple of touchdowns, but the turnovers with him are a lot more frequent than they were this time last year. And TCU, we said about Max Duggan being a glorified like running back. Not kind of, He didn't run in this one, he just threw it. 278 yards, three touchdowns for him. The running backs, Kendra Miller, 142 yards and a touchdown, eight yards per carry. Imari DiMarcado, six carries, 64 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, they're running the ball at nine yards a click on this SMU team here, and we've found out that their defense is really bad. I mean, TCU put 28 points down them on the first half. I know they nearly kind of let this one slip, but... Yeah, Tanner and SMU, they don't look that good this year. I mean, I did think they looked that good last year. The defense was a liability. And Tanner Mordecai's a liability, yeah. How many times last year did he throw four touchdowns and two interceptions? How many times did he... he almost, it felt like he threw an interception in every game because it's an air raid offense. Like I say, Ulysses, Bentley's gone. It's a full-on air raid offense. And do you know what surprised me about TCU is? They lost Zach Evans, and they haven't missed a beat. Nope. Kendra Miller looks really good to Mercado. I thought when they lose, they lost their best recruit in history, that they'd struggle. 
But do you know how we, Max Duggan is currently fourth in the nation? The touchdown interception ratio. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions. He's perfect on the year. Mm. He's the fourth best, I think, in the nation in that stack. So, yeah, TCU. Now, I'm not going to say they're legit because I've said this before in recent years, and they always have a habit of shooting themselves in the foot, especially in the Big 12. So I know who they've got this week. I'm not going to get carried away. But, yeah, good good win for them. And a good they start seasons well, but they always just kind of go, Neow. it always just kind of goes downhill like it did last year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, I don't know. It remains to be seen with them. Yeah, like I say, with TC, you've got to take them with a grain of salt. But yeah, SMU, I've lost faith in now, and that defense has gone on the that defense has gone on the hit list. If they're playing anyone good, and we got to bet on them. That's going to factor heavily into this. Um, finishing it off, last one. Iowa twenty-seven, Rutgers ten. We both believed in Rutgers. That little rally was dead. Rutgers are dead. I ain't touching them again. I mean, Iowa only scored one offensive touchdown in this one, I believe, and they got 27 points. I think the defense was responsible for a couple in this one. This this is this isn't even good for Iowa, to be fair. I mean, you know, I think the defense is scoring more touchdowns than the offense is at this moment in time. That's kind of an indictment on how bad your team is, but you know, Rutgers were just a letdown in this one. Yeah, just just a poor game, two poor sides. Iowa just so difficult to watch. How can they have one of the nation's best defenses and also have one of the FBS's worst offenses? It's just it's just a love hate relationship. And Iowa fans, it must literally make you want to spoon your eyes out. It must just be so frustrating. This Iowa team with an average offense is probably one of the best teams in the Big Ten. They're probably a championship contender, but when you just like I say, when you struggle to score live off field goals and defensive touchdowns, you're not going to win many games. They're, they're so lucky that they've got like two wins this year. They weren't even convincing against Nevada. They covered the spread at like 27, but even that wasn't convincing. No, no, it, it, it's not. It's, I don't know. But you know what the stupid thing is? I could 100% see them beating Michigan this weekend. Just, you know, for yeah. the hell of it. For, for the hell of it. You know, J, you know, J.J. McCarthy, he had his nervous moments against Maryland, and that's a bad defense. If he starts getting nervous in this one, they start knocking out some interceptions, some strip sacks or whatever. Give Spencer Petras, even him, a short enough field to do something with. I could just, I don't think it's going to happen. I could just see it happen. If you told me I would beat Michigan this weekend, I'd fully believe it, just because of the team they are. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a it's really going to be a really one. unattractive game. It, I think that'll be one of the worst games of the weekend. It'll be a total mess on both sides of the ball. It was the worst championship game by a long stretch last season. There were some cracking title conference games last year. That one was absolutely awful. Michigan just absolutely, you know, dinged them. They just killed them in that one. So, yeah. Um, Ashley, in regards to Noah, still says, I love to hear it. How can I convince you that Tate and Bethune is worth it? Ash, I'm just coming to terms with the fact that I'm, I'm being nice about Travis. Don't push your luck with other FSU players. Maybe. Not really looked at the linebackers outside of him. And Diabate just yet. So that is everything for week four. A lot of games to go through there, but a lot of good ones. Again, we'll turn our attention to 
to week five now we'll have a look at some of these games here so right we've got to come to that point again where we have to put our put our expertise or lack of on the line for the big watch here with some of these games starting off pack 12 it is your wheelhouse so hopefully you know might have more chance with this one washington at ucla washington two and a half point favorites for this one so to put it lightly we just mentioned them not long ago they've started hot they're 4-0 they've beaten stanford michigan state kent state Portland State, and right now, Penix is one of the leading passers in the nation. I think he might be the actual leader in terms of yardage. He's definitely up there. And like I say, he's barely had a finger laid on him by opposition pass runners. Pass runners. The least number of points they've put up in a game is 39, and that was against MSU Michigan State, probably the hardest of those four opponents. So it's high-powered. It's scoring a lot of points. UCLA, they're also 4-0. They've pushed aside Colorado, Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama. So this is their biggest test by a long chalk. They've put up 40-plus points in three of their four games. But again, opposition strength. Zach Charbonnet, he's got two 100-yard games in three appearances and four touchdowns already this season. Washington definitely got the better defense in this one. But both offenses high-powered on the day. Where are you going with the old Pac-12 fixture? Washington. I think their defense can stop the UCLA offense. I don't think the UCLA defense... I know UCLA have got a fantastic defense in front. This is going to be the Washington O-line's biggest test of the season. But I think this will be a low-scoring affair. I think these two offenses could be stifled. This is the biggest matchup for both of them, and I think they can neutralise one another. Yeah, I'm. If I'm looking at this, I'm saying you know one team's got good offense and defense. One team's got good offense. Again, not sure about the defense. It's been good so far for UCLA. I think they've only let under twenty-one, let above twenty-one points once. But again, opposition you've got to take into account. How good really is it? They've got the dual threat though. They've got Charbonnet, Dorian Robinson, Thompson's been doing fine for him if Penix ain't doing well do Washington have the rushing attack to be able to compensate for that it's very tough it's a road game I'm going to diverge I'm going to go UCLA I like the variety of the offense there but I keep betting against Washington and losing I should know better but screw it they've got to got to move up one week so Ryan you're going Washington correct yep you're going Washington, I'm going UCLA. C has joined us in the chat. He says, welcome from Hurricane Central. I hope you're keeping well, good sir. Stay safe in that bad weather over there. Currently, he says, we're boarded up and the power is on. Good. Hopefully, it stays that way there for you and it's over real quick. Um, next game. Ooh, interesting one here, Ryan. All Big Ten. Michigan State at Maryland. Maryland, seven and a half point favourites for this one, and who would have seen this a month ago? Michigan State have had a horror season due to a mixture of a Kenneth Walker-sized hole in that offence, big regression from Peyton Thorne at quarterback, and the secondary that was so bad last year is so bad again this year. They started off with wins against Western Michigan and Akron, but they've subsequently been twonked by Washington and Minnesota, who've had a really good start to this season. Maryland have started 3-1. They've had wins over Buffalo, SMU, and Charlotte. Uh, they were in a much closer game 
with Michigan than people expected before ultimately losing 34-27. to But one score, that is really respectable for Maryland. So Maryland's offense, it's pass-friendly, it's higher-powered. You know what you're getting with Talia Tonvailoa. They've put up 31-plus points in all four games so far. So against MSU secondary, they should really have a field day. I say should. The trouble is, this is going to be a really big win for Maryland. Even though Michigan State are not doing well, this will be a massive conference victory. Taulia has shown a proclivity for messing up when the lights shine bright. Let's say, think Iowa last year when they were playing well. He absolutely tanked the bucket against Iowa when it came to really showing that he could do it against the good sides. The run defense is not so good for Maryland, so although Michigan State, the new pair of running backs have been underwhelming they have shown flashes so if they can really get at that Maryland run defense get that going put Thorne in some more favorable situations then possibly Michigan State have the opportunity to put up points here and you know they are still a decent team despite how bad they have been so I think this is a lot closer than seven and a half points right I'm not sure which way are you looking for this one I don't trust either of them I'm going to take Maryland because they've got explosive players and that MSU secondary is paper thin. I don't think, if they jump out to an early lead, Michigan State are coming back. I've never trusted Peyton Thorne. I trust him as little as I have right now. I just don't trust that offense. Run game is fine, but they've got to start quickly. They can't fall behind because they can't match that high-powered passing offense. If MSU try and get into a shootout, they'll come out on the wrong side, and I think that's what will happen. Right, so you're going for Maryland? Yeah, but I'm not confident at all. No, see, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to go against the favourite again. I'm going to diverge from you again. I'm going to go Michigan State for this one. I still think that somewhere in this shambles of a season for them so far, there is a competent football team, and I do not trust Maryland. I still don't trust them after last year in Iowa. Me and you both had them beating Iowa last year when they were looking really good and they just choked in the biggest way imaginable and this would be a sizable win for them and I just don't know if they've got the stones to do it so I'm going Michigan State over Maryland Ryan is going Maryland all ACC now North Carolina State at Clemson Clemson favored by seven North Carolina State sit 4-0 on the season under the leadership of one Devin Leary. They start with a nail-biter against East Carolina that they probably should have lost. And even I would admit that. But since then, they've looked better. They've beaten UConn, Charleston South, and Texas Tech. Taya, Taya Thomas is emerging as a real threat for them at the minute. He's got two 100-yard games already this season. And Leary's form has been up and down, but they are still one of the best sides in the ACC, in my opinion. Clemson, we've talked about them very recently. They've turned a the corner. They're looking damn good. DJ's looking good. Will Shipley's looking good. The offensive line is looking good. And that defense is still looking pretty decent. They've beaten LA Tech, Georgia Tech, Furman, and most recently, Wake Forest. Over the first three games, the defense did not give up more than 20 points in a game. Um, Sam Hartman showed a weakness in the secondary, though. A lot of freshmen in there. Devin Leary could maybe do similar, so that is something for the underdogs to exploit, but who knows what happens in these in-conference games. North Carolina State at Clemson. Ryan. This was one of my favorite games of last season, but this won't pan out like last season. 
Clemson comfortably. Clemson are back. I think Clemson can sweep the ACC. Devin Leary is not Sam Hartman. I don't think NC State will rapidly put 35 points on his Clemson defence. I think once they pull away, Clemson do, NC State might struggle to claw its way back. So I'm going to take Clemson. Yeah, I did admit that North North Carolina did beat Clemson last year for the first time in forever. I think it was the first time they've beaten them in like 15 years or something like that. It was a long streak, but I put my faith in Devin Leary. I put my faith in the Wolfpack. (sighs) Screw it, I've got to go Clemson. As much as I hate to, I'm going to put my money on Clemson here and hope that I'm wrong. I will not care about the pick watch if North Carolina State win this one um right moving on now this this one is interesting ryan all sec kentucky at old miss old miss five point favorites for this one but kentucky they've they've looked sketchy so far but a big reason for that is the run game has not really been there for them but chris rodriguez he is back this week a massive addition to that offense which could just be the thing that turns them around the corner levis has been up and down they've so far beaten youngstown state florida miami ohio and northern illinois they only beat northern illinois by eight points so you know it wasn't the best of performances, let's just say. Old Miss, well, who knows what the hell's going on with Old Miss. Lane Kiffin is having a go at the fans, saying they're not turning up in numbers, that it's like going to a high school game. But on the pitch, they're doing the job. They're 4-0. Georgia Tech, Central AR, Troy and Tulsa have fallen at their feet so far. But this one, this, I think, is a very hard game to call. Old Miss, Kentucky, sorry, travelling at Old Miss. Ryan, who've you got? Ole Miss, they've got the. I think they've got maybe the best running back pair in the nation. Judkin is going at nearly four hundred on the season. Zach Evans is nearly three fifty. Best packs. That's the best pair of backs I think in the SEC. I think they've got the best natural tandem. Jackson Dart keep the ball out of his hands. He's fine because he is flaky. But Will Levis against his defense is going to throw at least one interception. Will Levis has been way too hot too cold he is he's just turning the ball over at an alarming rate and the throws he's making are very casual i think chris rodriguez coming back don't change up for me i think he'll be very rusty i don't i don't know if they're just going to feed him the ball and give him it straight away the kentucky defense has been really good but the Ole miss defense this year is looking just as good as it has been we've got finley their star safety i'm going to take Ole miss in this one Ooh, see, I'm going to take Kentucky. I've run, I've ridden them there so far. They were underdogs against Florida when they travelled to the Swamp or whatever they call it. So they won there. They've not let me down. I still believe in Will Levis. So I'm going to go Kentucky for this. So this is a very, this is a very mixed one. I think this is the most we've diverged in some time currently so far in there. So yeah, interesting. Now you said you don't trust Baylor one bit. The next matchup, Baylor. Oklahoma State, Baylor 3-1 and one so far, beaten Albany, Texas State, and Iowa State. Their only defeat was to Brigham Young University. Um, 
one that we got burned on not so long ago, which is probably a reason why we don't trust them quite fully at this moment in time. The Oklahoma State Cowboys, um, for them, they've beaten Central Michigan, they've beaten Arizona State, they've beaten Arkansas Pine Bluff. They currently sit at 3-0, they're ranked 9. Um, does this mistrust of Baylor continue? Who's, who have you got here? Oklahoma State, this will be easy. I genuinely don't think Baylor will keep up. But the title game last year was very interesting. These two teams are so different now. Baylor's lost their star safeties. They've lost that key part in the secondary. They're struggling at quarterback. I think Shepard is going hot and cold. But Oklahoma State, a bit blowing sides away. I say, Spencer Sanders is still looking really good. That offense is high-powered. Defense is lapsed, but by time they're usually giving up points. They've, they've put enough to put away a side. So, yeah, I think Oklahoma State, I think, can win this fairly comfortably. I'm going Oklahoma State as well. I agree. Um, as much as I feel uneasy betting against Baylor, because I feel like they'll bite my ass off about this. I agree. Like you say, they've lost the star safeties. They've lost Abram Smith at running back, who was the bulldozer. He was a big part of that. You've seen teams really struggle with the loss of their running backs this year, like BYU. They have not replaced Allegier in the slightest. So, yeah, I'm going Oklahoma State as well in this one. Now, I'm really interested to see this one. I, I'm really interested to think how how we think because this is two teams and I don't think we trust either of them Texas A&M at Mississippi State now we got me and you both got burned by Miss State a couple of weeks ago when they played LSU and lost that is their only defeat on the season they have beaten Arizona they've beaten Memphis and they've beaten Bowling Green but yeah they got they got beaten fairly comfortably by LSU in this one and then A&M we've spoken about them most weeks um they're just I, I just don't know what to make of A&M at this moment in time they're uh, they're bad but they're winning games they've beaten Arkansas they've beaten my they've beaten Miami Hurricanes on paper they're two good wins lost to App State and blew out Sam Houston um this is kind of the battle of two teams I don't trust here um who are you going with I'm actually going to take A&M because Will Rogers is going to beat himself. Will Rogers, when he gets to big games, shits the bed and throws a lot of interceptions. We just know what Will Rogers is. It's an air raid offense. I'd say against LSU, through interceptions. He will throw interceptions on this Texas A&M defense. They will take the ball away from him. And the Aggies will win a scruffy, ugly game because they're going to, there's going to be turnovers. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but yeah, I don't trust Mississippi State just as much as I don't trust A&M. I feel at this point like Texas A&M are like my Appalachian State as well. It's like no matter what I do, if I bet for them, they're going to lose. If I bet against them, they're going to win. And I feel like there's nothing I can do that's going to help otherwise. So I'm picking Miss State. You know, there's a very famous saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Well, if they lose again this time, then they can forget about me ever trusting them again this season. I just, I think A&M are garbage and they can lose to anybody. May as well be Miss State and they are at home, so you've got the home advantage. Yeah, I'm going to go Miss State, but I am not, not confident in the slightest. Um, the one we've all been waiting for, Wake Forest at Florida State. ACC battle here so 
I mean, I don't even need to do a preview for this. You know what you're getting with these two teams. Florida State, they're 4-0. You know, the run game is really good. The passing game is okay. The defense is really good. Wake Forest, the passing offense is amazing. The run game is non-existent. The defense is non-existent. The trouble is, can Sam Hartman and co. overcome basically this juggernaut that the Seminoles have become this year? Because they could, the, the no. only way they're going to do that is by a shootout and somehow nullifying this Florida State team. The only advantage Wake Forest have is the passing game. Everything else belongs to Florida State. They're on the road as well, depending on what happens with said inclement weather over there. Florida State, four and a half point favorites. Ryan, upset or no? Everyone knows I love Wake Forest, but this is a terrible matchup for them. They are bad at everything Florida State are good at. Florida State have got a defense. Wake Forest don't have a defence. Florida State will win this because Wake Forest are two-dimensional and they can take the ball away. That defence, if it gets tries to get a shootout, they will take the ball away from Wake Forest. They'll run the game. Jared Verse, let's say, or the defence can have... They will cause hell to Sam Hartman, I think. That defence is going to stand up and be countered. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah... I, th- I think I would probably have to agree with you. Just a quick shout-out to Ken Stouder in the chat who's joined us. He says, JG is live right now. I'm assuming that is Jared Goff, but we're doing lines today. We're in a happy place talking about college football today. Ashley Soden in the YouTube comments has said, I think Wake Forest are going to win. Sam Hartman is miles better than Jordan Travis ever will be, and I just think that they're so cool that they're going to beat us. That, that's a bad one. I would not expect Ash to say that one whatsoever. I mean... Come on, Ash. You've got to back your own team there. What, what the hell's going on? Um, yeah, Florida State. I hate to bet on them this many times, but I don't think there's going to be an upset there at all, um, contrary to what Ash says in the comments. So, yeah. Florida State sweep as far as me and Ryan go for this one. Um, right. Next up, three left, and then we're done with this. So, Oklahoma at Texas Christian University, otherwise known as TCU. Oklahoma, four-and-a-half-point favorites, but coming off that really damaging defeat. (laughs) Sorry, Ash, I just had to. (laughs) All the podcast listeners are going to think that you sided against them. Um... Yeah, sorry. Oklahoma at TCU. Oklahoma coming off the damaging defeat to Kansas State. TCU coming off a really fantastic win on the road at SMU. These are two teams who have had very different contrasting fortunes this weekend. Oklahoma, that was their first defeat. TCU, it's been a little bit of everything from them. Ryan, Big 12 battle here. Can TCU pull off another upset this weekend at home? Or will Oklahoma bounce back? TCU never beat the big 12 teams. They just never get the job done. They just get the Seabers lights and the crap themselves. This will be no Oklahoma win, and TCU will probably let themselves down massively. They just can't get the job done. You go back through all the recent years against the big teams of the big 12, they don't win any of them. They just cannot jump up. They just can't make the jump. So no. I'll take Oklahoma, and I don't think it'll be close. See, I I did think about this one for a little bit. I really did, but like you, I couldn't justify a way for TCU to win. I I get the the rivalry game with SMU, emotions, all that sort of stuff, but yeah, I think this is a step 
too far for them, so I'm going to go Oklahoma as well for that one. And, and yes, just to clarify for anyone who's listening to this on the audio, Ash did say none of those things about Florida State getting whacked by Wake Forest. I was just winding him up because he's been winding me up lately, and that's how I get back at him. It's a love-hate relationship that we have with one another. Of course, Ash is betting on Florida State to win this weekend. Um... Ooh, next up, I've put them in here this week because they've sort of come the seminal darlings of college football at the moment. Iowa State at the Kansas Jayhawks. The Kansas Jayhawks, 4-0. and oh, I completely forgot to mention their game against Duke last weekend. And uh, you know what, we'll actually, we'll mention that in a minute just for sake of posterity. It was a really good game, but... Um, yeah, no one saw this coming. No one saw Kansas going 4-0, but they have. Iowa State, they've blown hot and cold this season. They are favoured, naturally. I guess Kansas are always underdogs in most games, but the tide might just be turning for the Jayhawks, and this might be the win that starts people taking them seriously a little bit, Ryan. Can the Jayhawks do it? Comfortably. If Iowa State play how they did on Sunday, Kansas State will win comfortably. I, Iowa State just shoot themselves in the foot, and I, I think they'll put they'll do the same thing again. So I am saying Kansas will go five and zero. You know what? I'm going to do it as well. I don't want to give them the curse, but I don't want to bet against them either, and then them lose and me feel really bad about it. I think the Kansas Jayhawks can do it as well. Sweep for Kansas against Iowa State here on the panel, but and I. I can't believe I neglected to mention I do that many notes for these things someone always gets lost but Kansas beat Duke this weekend not at basketball and surprisingly it was a very good game I know you watched this one right what what did you think of it that you got to see them both up close yeah both good sides Ryan Leonard good Duke found a quarterback good offense Jalen Calhoun their best receiver looks happy he's making plays it was there was not much to separate them. Just a one score game, like you say, in Kansas dealt with a good team. Like you say, Duke are probably one of the better teams they've played this year. They were both three and all at the time, so it was an unbeaten matchup. But yeah, both teams things are happy with, things are not happy with, but Kansas bested them and they've now matched on. But yeah, I think Duke can't be upset of how they started the season at three and one. One of their best starts for a long time, but yeah. There's a lot of young pieces and long talent on both defences. So, yeah, it was an enjoyable game. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought I saw two very good quarterbacks for a Duke-Kansas Duke game. I thought they looked damn good. So, enjoyable, definitely. And Yeah, hopefully Kansas can beat Iowa State. And as Ash says, let the downfall of Matt Campbell continue. I bet he's wishing he took some of the job offers he had at one point because... They're going to be getting taken back very soon. He ain't going to be getting offers for some of these better jobs coming up in college football anytime soon. Last one to finish off the pick watch before we talk about any other outstanding fixtures we like this week. Texas Tech at Kansas State. Kansas State seven-point favourites for this one, coming off a win over Oklahoma. They've also beaten South Dakota and Missouri, but they did drop the one against Tulane that they really shouldn't have dropped. And like I say, they're coming up against the Texas Tech Red Raiders side. They are three and one themselves. They've beaten Murray State, they've beaten Houston, and they've beaten the Texas Longhorns. They only lost to North Carolina State. Now, Texas Tech are on the road here and seven point underdogs, but the last I checked, 
everyone in the pick watch had picked Texas Tech. Something's been inspired there by their win over the Longhorns this weekend, but it's not like Kansas State are coming up off a slack opponent either. These are two teams who've just taken big scalps. What do you think? Well, I've backed, I've bet against Texas Tech now twice, and I've been, I've lost twice. So third time's the charm. I'm going Kansas State. I'm going, this is the weekend Texas Tech slips up. They got lucky against Texas, the fumble. And Texas blew a big lead. That luck will run out, just like App State did. So I'm going to take Kansas State. They're going to follow up from their big win against Oklahoma. Yeah, just just to put into just to put into account how lucky that win was. Like I say, they had a two point four percent post game win expectancy. Texas Tech did. They should not have won that game. I agree with you. I'm going Kansas State as well for that one. So that is everything in terms of the pick watch fixtures going into week five. But is there anything else that tickles the bread and butter for you this week? We're obviously BYU playing Utah State. It's not the Holy War, but it's part of the, the trinity of uh, of battles that they have out there along with Utah in there. But anything else picks your fancy this upcoming weekend? Well, we've got USC. That's such a USC game to lose against. They won't, but wouldn't it just be so... I, it wouldn't even be a massive surprise with it if they blew it against us. I was going to put it in there, but you so roundly dismissed them against Oklahoma State the other week. I thought, no, nah, there's no way he's going to bite on it. No, nah, we, we, we won't win, but if we did win, I also wouldn't be shocked. You're 24-point underdogs, I believe, for that one. That's, um, I, don't think, I don't think we I don't think we'll even cover the spread. Really? That bad? Yeah, I don't think we'll cover that spread. Yeah, I don't think we'll cover that spread. God, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, it is Valade against the world at the minute, isn't it, there? I mean, at least he, good God, his draft stock's going through the roof. He just keeps knocking out 100-yard games. Yep, he's the only bright spark. So, yeah, it's just another great tooth Barrett. They won't hire a head coach during the season. They're just going with the interim head coaches, the running backs guy. So I don't expect any changes during the season. But yeah, the Pac-12 run has started now. So all our wins have dried up. Yeah. I don't know where we'll next win a game. I don't know who will win a game again this season. I tell you what, one that I wanted to put in there from the Pac-12, I was unsure. Oregon State playing Utah. Now, Oregon State look much better than they have in recent years. And Utah look utter meh at this moment in time. But Utah are ranked. I think they're number 12. Could Oregon State upset them? Oh, yeah. I think they could. I've seen Cam Rising play really well. But I've also seen him throw some interceptions. He's going against a good second reverse John Wright. So if Cam Rising tossed a few picks, I won't be surprised. Oregon State offense is pretty good. That's a big test for Utah. If they want to keep pace with Washington and Oregon, this is not the weekend to slip up. No, no, 100%. And it's um, the rematch from last year, Stanford and Oregon. Stanford beat Oregon last year with Kayvon Thibodeau and Co. Didn't even have Tanner McGee there, I don't know, did they? No, yes, I don't know. They, uh, yeah. Yeah, they did last they did, year. But I don't think there's going to be a repeat there. Um, 
possible upsets. I mean, I say this, Northwestern played Penn State. Could you just not see this 100% bit of game that Penn State balls up against a team that just can't win against anyone to save their life? It won't surprise me. It would be one of those Penn State kind of losses where Sean Clifford just has an absolute mare and throws mm-hmm. a lot of interceptions. Yeah. But yeah uh, I don't see it going that way, but no. The teams I'm most interested in seeing are Minnesota and Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Wisconsin coming off a big loss. Like I said, they got their ass handed to them by Ohio State. Need to bounce back. Mm, they do indeed. Um, Wisconsin play Illinois. Minnesota that play is, Purdue. That, I can see Wisconsin losing that game. Illinois have got one of the leading rushes in the country. That is not a good... That's not a nice game for them. What about Purdue-Minnesota? See, I could see Purdue upsetting Minnesota, and Purdue have been bad, but I feel like Minnesota are one of that clutch of teams who can just lose on any given week, although they got one of the best... I think that'll be all, that'll be all offense. Mm. It's, uh, the, Char- Charlie Jones will get like 150 receiving yards, but Mohamed Ibrahim, who is on a wrecking path, is going to go wild on that Purdue defense because their run support is not very good. And we saw that in the Syracuse game. That Schrader, Schrader shredded. He's a mobile quarterback, so yeah. Tanner Morgan... He's currently second, I believe, now. He's coming up on the the record for completions in Minnesota history. That's only because he's been there six years. He's like five a time. He's not even to, he just has to throw a few passes a year to get the record. But yeah, that is going to be a fun game watch. It could be a big score. Did you, did you see that thing I put in the Discord earlier about that person saying Tanner Morgan could have the, the Kenny Pickett breakout season? And you're just there like, really? Really? It's just not feasible. It had that that year, but it was three years ago. Yeah. Anyone go look at his 2019 numbers. They were really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things have changed since then. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. Um, The Commander-in-Chief's trophy starts this weekend. Navy versus Air Force. Navy haven't been good, but beat East Carolina, but Air Force, I think think they've already won the Mountain West, possibly, you could say. Yeah, they've started the best start. They're 3-1. No, mm. I lost to Wyoming. No, yeah. I'd like to think that they could put a beating on Navy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think they will. But again, you just... I think Air Force should win the Commander-in-Chief's trophy because Army, Army don't look good. No. Army have had a bad start to the season. Yeah. Everything they were good at last year, defence of running the ball, have just gone poofed. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, a few of the other teams that we've mentioned this week, James Madison continue their tour of the FBS against Texas State. Um, Appalachian State, who I hate forever, they're playing the Citadel, so we should have no fireworks from them this week, although I could 100% see the Citadel winning that one. Virginia Tech and North Carolina, Lockhorns again after Virginia Tech nearly killed Sam Howell. That would be season. such a North Carolina loss. Yeah. I can see North Carolina losing that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, hey, Cal versus Washington State. Cal dropped 50 on someone this weekend. Um, who the hell was it now? Who were an FBS side? Cal look okay. I say okay, that's a compliment. And Washington State, who knows what you're going to get with them? Yeah, up and down. Like I said, they, Cameron Ward's going to be licking his wounds, like I said, after, after letting that. That would have been such a statement win to beat Oregon. Mm. And now do they just collapse? Like, say, Cal lost Chase Garber, their stud QB last year. 
Mm. He was really good last year. He's gone. And I thought they'd be all at sea, but no. They've generated some offense. But Cal, just a weird team, I'd say. Like, they're usually just terrible. They're, just, they're not good. They're not bad, but they're just totally irrelevant. Yeah. If you name all the Pac-12 teams, you normally forget Cal yeah. and Colorado. Oh, oh Colorado. Mm. One of the worst teams I've seen in the entire nation this year. Mm, they're playing Arizona this week, so Arizona might put up another dub. <laughs> yep. They're, they're going to have a very underrated season. Mm. Cowan and Jaden Deloria are one of the better tandems in the nation. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think they're going to win that, and who knows? I'm going to shock a few. A few others to round out the week. So the Longhorns, Texas, they play West Virginia, the Cavaliers. Can JT Daniels cause a shot there? Who knows? In the Battle of Depression, you've got Nebraska versus Indiana. That is a game that you only want to watch if you want to go to sleep. Um, yeah, Nebraska, Indiana. If you want to go to bed early, watch that. You'll be asleep in five minutes. And the last one I'll mention, Duke versus Virginia. You wouldn't have said this at the start of the season, but Duke could win that one pretty handily. I'd like to think they will. I'd be disappointed if they don't. Brennan Armstrong was a top 10 passing quarterback this year, last year, this year. Yeah. I don't even. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's changed. No, is it the team? I've not really watched them much, so I just don't know. I don't they've, know if been it's... they've been terrible. Mm. They've generated no offense at all. No, no, it's been bad. It's been bad. Um, so yeah, that is about everything for week five. Some good games on there, and no doubt there will be a few more upsets on the card there um to finish off today's episode we had one special listener request for this week paul from our discord chat he saw the chatter about the detroit lions been present at byu games brigham young for all those and the uh, one of the names pointed out in that was clark barrington the offensive guard on the BYU offensive line, obviously, especially with this injury to Hal Vitae, we may need a guard in the draft this year. I can't say Clark Barrington once without thinking of the Park Barrington in Hotel in Family Guy, because I'm such a Family Guy nerd. It's such a close resemblance, but BYU, you've had a chance to uh, see a little bit of uh, them over the years, especially with Arizona State on there, but offensive line-wise... They're one of the better. They're one of the better ones for creating offensive linemen, aren't they? BYU. Um, yeah, they've had very good offensive lines the last few years. They've run the ball really well. They've had running quarterbacks. They've used their tight ends really well to block. Mm. I think the Lions were also there to look at their tight end, maybe Isaac Rex, but no, they block well as a unit. They've got the star tackle, Blake, Free. Oh, I forgot his name. But yeah, offensive line is good at BYU. And Jaron Hall is is the mass benefactor of that. Yeah, yeah. He gets They're always massive as well. They always have like six foot eight, six foot nine dudes at BYU. They build them big. Yeah, yeah. This is no exception for this one. So as I say, the, we've been asked to focus on the left guard, Clark Barrington. So the rundown on him, he is six foot six and three hundred and five pounds 
as Ryan says, they make them big there, and he is a big lad indeed. It's his fourth year with BYU. He wears the number 56 there. He's played in 37 games. He started 31 of those games. All the games he didn't start were in his freshman year back in 2019. Between 2020 and the present day, he has started all 27 games in which he has participated. So he is very healthy for an offensive lineman, especially at the college level where injuries are so prevalent. In terms of the player himself, actually, if you want to get to know a bit more about this guy, he's got a show on YouTube called The Clark Barrington Show. He talks about himself, he talks about the BYU team, there's a guy who interviews him on there, the last one they did, they did just before the Baylor game, because that was payback, because I think they got beaten by Baylor last year, but if you want to get an insight into him, his development and everything, I suggest that you go and watch that, it's a really good watch. In terms of him as a player on the field, before this season, he had only allowed one sack in his collegiate career, which was 33 games and 27 starts by that point. And as Ryan mentioned, he's been part of this O-line that has mauled everything that allowed Tyler Algier to run crazy last year. He had one of the best seasons of a running back in some time. So I had dipped down into some game footage of him. I took the game footage of when they played Utah in the Holy War last season. This is 2021. It was the second game last season. BYU actually won this game and I got a I got a copy of the offensive line versus defensive line tape from this. And I have to say, after watching him, I really really like this guy so the things that stepped out immediately the strength at the line of scrimmage he is a big boy 6'6 305 pounds he is really tough and competitive at the line of scrimmage it's the base you want from your offensive lineman but it immediately sticks out on the tape there moving defenders around in the run game so BYU they do like to focus on the run game there I noticed on tape a lot, moving defenders around to create running lanes. He is really good at it. I saw 11 examples in this game where a hole that he created or helped to create was utilized by Tyler Elysier. That's in one game. They love to run, or he loved to run through the center and the left guard, or the left tackle who Ryan mentioned, and the guard there. He's damn good when it comes to the run game. Um, in the passing game, they did this really weird thing with him. It's really good to see, though. So there's a play where they leave a blocker on the outside. Well, they leave a pass rusher, sorry, on the other side of the offensive line from him, unblocked. You know, I guess they do it deliberately. So what they do, they pull him across when the play is done to come and protect his quarterback. For a guy who's so big, he is so agile, there were three examples on tape where they pulled him across to force a block on an unblocked rusher, like I said. And he was really clever about this, because one time he came up against a really big pass rusher, just levered him round the back of his quarterback, just took him all the way round the outside, Jared Hall... Had a really clean pocket to work with because of it. Second time you saw him, he dived down at the feet of a quicker, speedier guy who came round. Absolutely cleaned him out. And the third time, he just used straight-up power to stand this guy up. And again, Jared Hall, every time, got his throw away. It was really good. For a six-foot-six guy, he moves really good. Like I say, it was just simple, controlled leverage he was using. He ain't just throwing his body weight around. He's very controlled with the strength in which he uses in the game. And like I say... You know, he's done it for the run blocking. You've seen it in the past there. He's very quick at getting off the line of scrimmage. Again, for the run game. 
you see him get off the snap really quickly. He's forcing the defender back really quickly. He opens up rushing lanes very quickly on the hole. And you can also see examples in the run game of him getting to the second level. He gets up to the second level, gets off his blocks, able to create blocks at the second level as well. Not something he does as well at the initial line of scrimmage, but obviously they're in college. There are not issues you work with here. So examples of him pancaking as well, obviously a big boy like him. All I will say is if you get off balance against him and you're anywhere near him, he's going to send you tumbling right down to the ground. A couple of quick guys tried to get under him, tried to get underneath him. Bang, down they went. He was really good when it came to coming up against those sort of guys. So overall, I was very impressed by both aspects of the game I saw from him here. And I think he's getting more love as he comes towards the draft. So he's a name to watch out for in terms of issues with the game. So there are some issues, like I said. His movement is clunky at times, and again, it comes with a six foot six guard. Sometimes when you see him get up to the second level, if there's no guy there, you see him sort of wandering around, not knowing what to do on the play. He could maybe anticipate a little better when it comes to that. He did deal with a few power rush issues. Um, there was one time when he was just straight out bull rushed back into his quarterback, um, although there was no sack or anything that came of it, but it's still a little concerning to see. The second one I saw, the guy got under his shoulder pads. Now that's the big problem. When you're 6'6", you're that size. Smaller guys, if they get under your shoulder pads, start forcing you back, it's very hard to stop them from doing so. And there was an example on tape of that happening, although it must be said, I think it was about three plays later, he came up against the same guy, he got under his pads again, but somehow, I don't know how he did it, he managed to reverse it and get out of it. So you saw the in-play adjustment on the field. You know, he dealt with a problem and, you know, he found a way to overcome it. So that was, again, good to see there. The second level work needs work. Like I say, he's a big guy. It's clunky trying to get out there. Could be a little quicker. It'll come with time, but, you know, all prospects have issues they need to deal with. And he does have some issues with speed rushing as well. But that was just one or two snaps where he had a little bit of an issue with it. So I think overall, Paul... I was very impressed with him and I'm going to keep an eye on it going forward because this BYU line looks really good. So Clark Barrington, the left guard from BYU, certainly, certainly someone to look out for in this draft, especially if the Lions decide it's time to move on from Hal Vitae. I don't know if you've seen much of him at all, Ryan, but I'm very impressed with him. Yeah. Not him, no. I've seen a lot of the BYU O-line. And even though they're shaky on the year, they usually create good pockets and for Jaron Hall. Also, Jaron Hall is fairly mobile as well, so they are able to create holes for him to be able to have designed runs, QB draws, things like that. So you are able to pull him. He is able to move. So, yeah, he works well as a part of a good unit. It helps having a great left tackle next to him. So if you give him a left tackle that's experienced at the next level, thinking a good line, he'd probably slot in really well. If you put him next to Sewell, like say, if, you, if he's ever at left tackle, I think he'd look really good. Oh, God, yeah. That, that Mullen run game would be terrific. I think you are taking him primarily as a run guy for now, but you can see the aspects of the pass game there. He really stands up against some of the, the tougher pass rushers. So, you know, like I say, you've got that. You can also go and see him on YouTube personality-wise if you like him as a guy. He seems very down-to-earth, seems very driven in what he's doing. So, yeah, hope that... Uh, Hope that does that for you there, Paul. Um, is there anything you want to else you want to add in before we finish today? Because we've been going a little while. Uh, nope. I think for next week I'll probably start looking at the FCS. Now they're starting their own schedules. So 
I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye on the FCS and the FPS games as well. Alright, we'll, uh, we'll add that one in. I know, I, I, even I need to learn more about it. So yeah, let's let's do it. So as of next week, we'll get some FCS going in here as well. Right, that is everything for today. Thank you for everybody who's joined us at various points. I've seen a lot of different guys in here at one stage or another. As I say, we always appreciate it. The next episode's tomorrow, the main podcast, Thursday 29th of September. We have our preview of the Seattle Seahawks game this upcoming weekend. We may have a guest involved trying to work on that at the minute. I've got to get to work on that as soon as I'm done with this show, so we'll see. But if not, you'll still have a good panel of us on here to chat about the Seahawks game. Me and Ryan will be back next week. We will be reviewing week five of the college football season. We will be previewing week six and any other business that we get up to before then. Again, if anyone wants players looking at, etc., let us know and we shall do the work there for you. Just remains for me to thank Ryan and, as always, and I'll just go through our socials very quickly. On YouTube, you can find us at Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, ROTL underscore UK. UK. Facebook page Roar of the Lions UK, our group Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide, Twitter and Instagram ROTL underscore UK, and on the website you can find us at www.roaroftheliondsuk.com. Our writer Ashley will have his preview up for the Seattle Seahawks game very soon, so give them a check out. They're very informative, they're good on humour as well, so uh, he gets that from me, I think. Um, so yeah, enjoy that and read any of the other articles on there. Thank you ever so much and we shall see you again tomorrow. Until then, one bride.